Kiss the Kraken. Welcome to Robot Kraken, where the standard nerd duo of Chris of Deeply Dapper, that's you. Yay! And Tom, yeah, and Tom of Third Rail <laughs> Design Lab, that's me, talk about movies and shows and comics and news and shows and movies, and also general miscellany, or miscellany, whichever, or miscellany. Miscellany sounds fancier. I'd say, okay, we're going to talk about some general miscellany, but not too much general miscellany, <laughs> because we got to get to the meat. We have a laser focus on winter, and it is coming. <laughs> <laughs> What are you? What are you having to? Are you having a refreshing beverage, Chris? I am having a refresh. Well, I'm having a semi-refreshing beverage. There's I can a, tell by the image is I'm not going to like it. It's purple and it's in a can. Yeah, there's elements of it that I find refreshing, but sadly, I don't have any name brand stuff, and I'm drinking a Doctor Shasta. <laughs> However, there is a liberal amount of our official, unofficial rum of the Robot Kraken podcast, Kraken uh, okay. Rum. Crack and rum available at all fine retailers of alcohol. Is Shasta not of name brand? Is it is it like an off brand? Because I remember it growing up. Shasta's a like a name brand off brand. It's like the the premium store brand or something like that. Let's put it this way: the twelve pack of Doctor Shasta cost me two dollars and forty two cents at Winco. And thousands and thousands in medical bills in the future. Undoubtedly. I can feel my legs <laughs> swelling as I drink it. <laughs> All right. Dr. Shasta is not an approved beverage of the Robot Kraken podcast. <laughs> that's a, a counter-unofficial sponsor. That's, a, right. that's an officially unofficial non-sponsor. <laughs> well, what are you sucking on the monkey, Tom? What am I sucking on the monkey? So I'm having, a, I'm having a delicious margarita, and I made it with tequila. And margarita mix because again I didn't have time to do it right. I have is it the the the, the Lady Teeters bucket o margarita mix that you had before? <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was like it's actually like this highfalutin or you know organic margarita mix you know made with I don't know <laughs> real Californians local honeys. Yes, <laughs> you, know, you can't pay more for pre-made margarita mix. <laughs> but uh, it was out of desperation. I have the fixins, but I didn't have the time to, uh, to, uh, to 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 fix them. So there it is. <laughs> also, also, I wasn't too. Uh, I, I didn't have the momentum because I pulled out the uh, the tequila and discovered that um, some sessions ago, the last time I had margaritas with you, uh, I put the bottle back almost empty. <gasps> Outrageous. Well, you know that's probably represented in the the last third of the recording but anyway (laughs) there was the dregs i had to prop the bottle up and then shake it violently to get a couple of drops of tequila out of it it's pretty pretty pathetic i like like how your shaking motion involved squeezing was this a plastic tequila bottle it wasn't i I picture you drinking much fancier tequila than something that comes in plastic (laughs) there's no plastic involved but if i had it here i wouldn't turn it down right now because I'm in a margarita mood, I'm in a margarita mood, and I and I'm and and I'm down to one. But and you can only one. make Maybe. margaritas with tequila, right? That's not one of those where you can substitute vodka or rum. 
fancy bartenders try, but I'm not going to do that. I've done that before. There are variants, yeah. You, you can mix a margarita mix with other other alcohols, and there'll be a name attached to it in the Boston Bartender's Guide, but Absolutely. I've never been particularly enthused by them. Sounds good. But anyway. So uh, let's do a quick check on art and art-related things. You were just at a sweet, sweet convention, weren't you? Or- I was at a convention, yeah. Um, I just got back from the World Horror Convention. Uh, this year it was held in Provo, Utah. Yes. <sighs> you know, when I would text you when you were there, your responses it did seem like a horror con, but the wrong kind. Yeah, it's. <sighs> I've always told myself when I'm talking about a con yes, that I would don't be. The con. Well, I don't want to lie. I don't want to be evasive about things, that kind of thing. But I also want to be positive about things. But, to be frank, the World Horror Con, from a vendor's perspective, was a shit show. Um, it was... I used to not like people... I, did, I used to not like people comp, uh, you know, crapping all over the cons they were at until... That was during that decade I didn't go to cons, right? Right. And then I went with you to uh, the Wizard World and... <laughs> You know, it was a hot mess, and it wasn't just my, you know, yeah. near-death seat. It was pushing me over the edge, and I started to realize, as I watched vendors um, sort of commiserating and complaining to the organization and everything else, I, I thought to myself, so, had I read about an experience like that prior to going, I would have voted with my, my sweet, sweet dollars, and I probably wouldn't have, you know, we would have right. gone to another con. We would have tabled somewhere else. And so, I mean, it's just like any other process like this. Uh, maybe there is a, value, a valuable component to criticism right. constructive criticism to constructive cons well out. and that's the thing like every con i go to i learn something i mean it's a learning experience of some sort and that was one of the main reasons i did this con in the first place is it's a world horror convention it's kind of a unique beast because it's in a different yeah. town each year it has different atmosphere and characteristics it's in a different hotel it's not one of those where it's like okay this happens the same time every year in the same town so it is going to be different every year but they also do like like there's a science fiction one there's a fantasy one so i was curious what this one was like and i can't fault the organizers they've been doing it for years this i actually felt really bad for them because they're extremely nice people they're extremely friendly they're outgoing they're very straightforward um this was their last year doing it for the world horror uh world horror federation i don't know what their their group is called (laughs) there's a Um, a federation yes it's a federation um and someone else is going to take over next year and i feel bad for them because they left this con thousands of dollars in the hole they um they rented out the entire i mean apart from like the actual rooms they rented out every conference room in this marriott where we were and this was a swank Marriott like it was the type of hotel where you go to unload and they're like oh excuse me you can't bring that dolly through the front door you need to go around to the service exit and I think the the venue wasn't necessarily a problem but the location of the venue was Provo Utah Mm. is 
not the best location for a horror convention. It's the location of Brigham Young University, the LDS yeah. College. It's it's a town where literally everything's closed on a Sunday, and yet this was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday con. And I... Yeah, that's what I thought when you were talking about it initially. It sounded like a really interesting concept for a con. Yeah. But at the same time, when you were talking about the the location and right. what we know about Utah, I wondered how I wondered if they were compatible. Yeah, and for instance, like last year, um, they it was held in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and some much of, more suited for it. Yes, absolutely, and uh, some of the guests included. Um, Minola and mm-hmm. Scott Ellie, and they had um, some bigger names like Victoria Price was there, R.L. Stein. Um, wow. A lot of their programming was a little more in tone with this. Like they had some interesting programs here, but like one of the guys I know was one of the artists there that did, does a web comic called Zombie Nation. And mm-hmm. at least three of his panels he ended up not doing because there was nobody there. Oh, my gosh. They, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, at previous years they got between 400 and 1,000 attendees as an average. This year wow. they had less than 200. No way! Less than two. And that includes vendors and the committee that what? was there. What? And there were about 28 vendor tables. And a lot of us had two or three or even four people behind the table. So once you factor that in, that is virtually no one showing up to this convention. When you asked me the other day about whether I would do a Kickstarter sometime, and I told you how I was afraid that it would be like the high school movies where they, where they, the parents are out of town, and so they make a, they they decide to do a, a party. <laughs> right. You know, they're just sit, sitting there with 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 their with their drinks and their snacks and there's no one there. Right. That's what I kind of, and I, you know, that's what it sounds like that happened on this con. Yeah, it was. And like I said, I try not to disparage it too much because I think the circumstances were just poor and I don't know whose choice it was to have it in Provo and what kind of advertising they did or didn't do. I didn't even hear about this con until I noticed in the newsletter that Victoria Price was going to be there. I was like, wait a minute, Provo? Uh, Victoria Price is Vincent Price's daughter, and she's super cool. She does a lot of advocacy stuff. She keeps his memory alive. She's just, like, totally laid back and cool. And I was like, shoot, I want to meet her, so we'll go do this con and try it out. And... Like I said, I always want to learn something from the cons I go to. And World Horror Con definitely taught me a couple of things. One, you have to know when and how to judge what a con is worth and whether it's worth your time. For me, this was worth it because the table is 180 bucks, which was a little steep, particularly with the amount of attendees that came. That meant I had to get more than a dollar from each attendee. <laughs> to break huh. even on the table. Uh, but, you know, it was three and a half hours from my house. I slept in my car. I I used a truck stop shower for 12 bucks. E. And These are the details that thrill our listeners from... Yes. Know, yeah, if you've never to, used a truck stop shower, Robot Kraken listeners, it's not as bad as it sounds. Truck stop showers are actually really nice because truckers are like, I want a nice shower. <laughs> 
It has nothing to do with the price of the hand jobs, right? I mean, no, those are actually a separate fee, and I don't actually claim those on the taxes anymore. They they frown upon it, it seems. Uh. <laughs> um, but one thing I did really learn about this convention is you need to make the best out of the situation. And in this particular situation, like when we were in Sacramento, there wasn't really anything we could do but stand there and be miserable because we still had a steady trickle of customers and that kind of thing. Right. Whereas here, there wasn't even a trickle. I mean, there were whole hours where we wouldn't have anyone in the room but other vendors. That's just nuts. And so we just hung out. Like, we chatted. I, t- I got together with different artists and authors, and we chatted about stuff. We played games. We made up stupid, crude games about how to add in the butt to different things, the, which we called mm. the Chuck Tingle game, based off of a Hugo-nominated erotic author that writes books about velociraptor sex and stuff. Oh, that's a thing that happened. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing that happened, sadly. Uh, <laughs> but at least, you know, I, I found some way to occupy my time in that respect. I talked with Victoria Price for quite a while. We've actually uh, bandied about the idea of doing an actual, like, licensed Vic, uh, Vincent Price soap, which would yeah. be really fun. Um, so, you know, I, I at least made some connections from a business standpoint there. My buddy, that Jonathan Robb, um, who is an author with Muzzleland Press, um, was there. He, he writes, he wrote a book called Hillbilly, Hillbilly Moonshine Massacre. And we got to chat for quite a while, which was awesome. Cause I met him at Rocky Mountain Con a couple years ago and, you know, it, it it was not a profitable con by any stretch of the imagination. My wife, as we were leaving, she's like, now make enough money to pay our bills this month. That did not happen. I may have made enough money to pay one of our bills, but sadly that bill was the table at World Horror Con. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, was, I was wondering. Wow. That so, sucks. But, you know, at the same time, it sounds like, I mean, other than the, the potentially the the – the uh, the red flag of, of it being Utah and, and having Sunday as being one of the days. Right. You know, it sounds like it's – I mean it's like a lot of things. I think it seems like it could have gone either way. You never know. That could have just been an, an absolutely amazing one. And at least you had that connection with um, – you know, a celebrity that you wanted to talk to and right. could be could be fruitful. So I'm, you know, in that sense, there's some positivity to it. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and like I hooked up with Zombie Nation, which is a online web comic that's really awesome, and we've like bandied about the idea of me possibly teaming up with them for a few cons where they'll buy the big booth, and while he's uh, doing panels and stuff, I'll run their table as well in exchange for them hooking up. Because he'll go as a guest and we'll kind of hook up with the, the cheaper hotel rooms and the table costs and that kind of thing. So it could pay some real dividends down the road. And that's one thing that I wanted to make sure happened. As soon as I saw what my numbers were for day one, I was like, I've got to make something else of this trip besides money. Because money wasn't happening there. Yeah, sure. Now, were you able to do uh, any sketching and that kind of thing? Um, I worked on my comic a little while. Um, I also did a few just kind of preliminary plannings. We're, we're going to do a Kickstarter this autumn with our soap sense, and we're going to expand it the line a little bit. So I was doing a lot of kind of preliminary work on that. So yeah. I at least got some work done. But honestly, we 
it was so boring that everybody was actually like congregating and hanging out. So it was really more of like a party atmosphere than it was a sit behind your booth and not do anything. Yeah, like I'm making the best of it. Right. Yeah, I got to, I got to chat for quite a while with an author named Noel Hind who has been writing since the 80s and his father was a writer and his his dad wrote like pulpy true crime stuff so it was really fascinating to get to sit with this guy that's been writing for decades and has sure. like moved with the times and he's gotten his old catalog up on ebook and that kind of thing and it was you know something like that's kind of invaluable as an author to be able to talk to somebody else and see sure. what they've done um, so, you know, I didn't walk away miserable or anything like that. And it was what they call a loss leader. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, when we were at, um, so I guess, yeah, it was, uh, it was WonderCon or Wizard World. Sorry. And uh, I remember how I told you that I ran into, uh, Humberto Ramos was there. Oh surprising. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I said, I can't believe you're at Wizard World Sacramento. And he said, I can't believe it either. <laughs> and he said it was really hard for him because, you know, he had a lot of travel expenses I don't know how what led to I mean, artists like that have agents and stuff. I, I don't right. know what led to the choice to go to that con. And, and apparently uh, you and other people had told me that the word was that the previous year was really good. So that yeah. was probably the basis for it. But he said that those cons are devastating for him because that's 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 uh, opportunity cost that's significant. Right. And he was saying that you know he can't do page work at the table at the con. Like he's just not in the zone. Just in right. the same way that I said I can't do you know I can't do sequential art. You know, with the kids running around, I have to be focused. And Absolutely. So, um, in our experiences together, it shows where I could, you know, obviously when we're talking and hanging out, that's the most fun part. But, you know, when I'm working on um, commissions either from the con or stuff that I brought with me or working on projects while I'm there, right. uh, I think it's great time because if nothing else, I've got dedicated time. You, you know, this is your this is your full time gig. Right. So that's great for me. It's not so, you know. Sitting at a table for a weekend, even if it was a bust in terms of sales, you know, at least having that time to work on projects is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. He's in a situation where he can't do that. Um, and like you're saying, you know, you, you need to pay those bills. So right. Those are a hard, that's a hard con to swallow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm much more optimistic about my next con. And we're, we're hitting Cheyenne Comic Con, uh, not this coming weekend, but the weekend following. And that one should be... A little better. <laughs> right. I have my you're fingers gonna, crossed. Now, are you going to pack the car and go to that con on the weekend that it's actually happening, or are you going to just kind of... Yeah, yeah. I'm going to head up Wednesday probably to get there sometime midday Thursday and get set up and everything. I'm referring to the disaster of your planning for the horror Oh, con. shut up, you. <laughs> <laughs> Silenced. I would have actually Silenced. made more money had I gone the incorrect week, I think. <laughs> Because <laughs> I would have got there and been outside. like, screw this noise, and turned around and come home. <laughs> I've got sketches and, and, and Coors Light. Right. Hey, it's I'll just set up on the corner here. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm sorry that that happened. That's a, that's a drag, but at least, you know, it does sound like you made some uh, some good connections. With yeah. This yeah, and that's, that's all I can really take from it. Um, that and to... You know, you always have to use it as a, a gauge for when you evaluate what you're doing next year and that kind of thing. Would sure. I take a chance on a world horror con again? I probably would, but it would be really dependent on the guest list and where it's yeah. taking place. 
Although, you know, when we were talking about it before, I thought that that was a, you know, if, if everything lined up to its potential, that's a great, um, you know, that, that's a, that's a, 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 a great fit for you. Yeah. You have a lot of stuff that even if it's not the outright horror stuff and the Cthulhu things, but I mean, right. you also have stuff that's just is love letters to genre material that, that right. same client, that same consumer base would like. Well, and that was one of the cool things right. about it. Like I, I, although I did not have a lot of sales, I sold three of my horror ABC books. I sold a couple of my oh, little cool. bat boy sketchbooks. I sold some flasks. I did some art and that kind of thing. It was kind of telling what kind of con this was when I didn't sell a single button. <laughs> and not a single one of our Harry Potter soaps sold kind of thing. It oh. was it was just a really strange mix of what we sold and what we didn't sell. But yeah, yeah, I mean I mean it was certainly an experience. <laughs> so this is going to sound like an untoward thing to ask, but I'm curious. I'm sure that there are many people who are striking while the iron's hot, so to speak, but I'm curious if You've seen an uptick in your David Bowie related products because you have some. Just I do out of your love your love for his work, and I was wondering if that was becoming more more uh, more of interest now that he's passed away. You know, I started a portrait after he passed away, and I never did finish that one. So the only stuff I have right now is a little more on like the labyrinth end of things. And the David Bowie illustration that I did has always been one of my better sellers. And I have not actually seen it increase in sales beyond that. The only thing I've really seen increase is a lot more people come over and be like, oh, David Bowie, he died, you know. Oh, (laughs) Fantastic. I mean, yeah, I get the 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 wrestler and the Paps Blue Ribbon crowd a little more pointing out uh, things that are obvious to everyone, kind of thing. But I I haven't seen any more sales per se. Well, it's interesting. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. Now, I'm glad to see that you don't have you know two or three new Prince prints in your shop. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think you could be accused of oh, being an ambulance chaser. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. Hold on. No. <laughs> No, I figure had he been had he been Ruby Ruby Rock Ruby Rocks or Ruby Rod or whatever his name was right. in Fifth Element. Think of all the oh, fan man. art. Yeah, no kidding. Off the shelves right now. <laughs> yeah, and you know I've done that kind of thing once or twice, like the Christopher Lee piece that I did. But I was working on that before he passed away, and but oh, I finished it after he died, and you know, like that kind of thing. That's the same as. Like, if I'm going to a con and I draw a piece just because somebody's going to be there, most of the time that isn't what pans out. What pans out and sells well is the stuff that I'm passionate about and excited about drawing. Mm. And I think that makes sense. I think that really, I mean, like, sometimes the, the two come together really well. Like, I was super excited about the X-Files people being at Salt Lake Comic Con. And right. you saw the hot mess that my first piece was when I wasn't excited about the piece I was working on. Sure, sure. <laughs> Drunken I mean, I Johnny Cash and Femforce 90s comic <laughs> girl. <laughs> well, but, you know, I saw part of it before you done, before you junked the whole thing, but yeah. yeah. But, but the piece that you landed on was amazing. I love it. Yeah, and it came together really well. But there's been other times where if my heart's just not in it and I'm just doing it because I think it'll be a cash grab. That's when they usually don't actually sell. So... I've just gotten to the point now where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to draw what I'm excited about and hope other people are too. You know, this is uh, this is neither here nor there, but it's here. Um, 
my daughter, I showed her your, I showed both my kids your X your current X Files print. Oh yeah, and they both, and particularly my daughter, they both liked it. But my daughter's the one who said, and granted, she's she's an early reader, right? Like she's in first grade, so they went from the beginning of the year piecing piecing words together by letters, and now is reading books, right? Right. So she looked at that, and she immediately, you know. The female pattern language brain, maybe I don't know. Okay, but she looked right at it and said, "There's a word in the trees." Hi, like, right on. Girl to say that, I thought was amazing. That's awesome, right? Because you you would think that she, I at least I thought that she was going to be more um, taken by some of the other imagery in the in the piece, right. the composition of it. I am like I actually find it hard to see the lettering, or I found it hard to see the lettering until I saw it which was a, a stealth surprise to me. Right. But for her, she went straight to it, which I thought was really neat. That's pretty she awesome. She loved it. <laughs> she wanted me to, uh, to uh, violate your copyright and, and print it out, but I didn't do it. I said, we need to get, we need to get a print. I can send a, her a print. print. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Um, well, okay. And so are you working on any art projects now? or uh, Not anything right now, no. I just – honestly, I'm just in con prep mode like – I'm prepping soap right now for four to six hundred bars of soap, and we've got a bunch of curing, and it's just soaparama right now. <laughs> so that's really all I'm focused on. Soaparama. Soaparama. I'm just convinced that your house is some sort of reject from, you know, it puts the lotion in the basket, you know. Like. <laughs> I don't have human skin hanging up in my closet anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It would be interesting, though. It would be a really interesting story when it came out. (laughs) Although I did, I don't know if you can, no, it's at a bad angle. But I did line my ceiling with these old curtains that almost look like stretch skin. (laughs) Ah. There's a moment when our all audio format really pays for itself, doesn't it? Doesn't it, yeah. Yes. Scare away (laughs) 333,000 listeners with your creepy desiccated <laughs> corpses hanging from your ceiling. <laughs> it's in time for HorrorCon 2017. Right. Well, uh, I have a question for you. What is that, Tom? Did you, or did you not, with all that free time that you just told me at length about how you had nothing going on and you were making butt, butt stories with your neighbors at the con and yes. all this free time... Did you use any of that to develop your Runaways casting? I think if you'd look on our digital paper lineout for Robot Kraken Episode 12 to be determined, as we currently have it headed right now because we're super up on that, under Uh, Runaways Casting Challenge, you'll see my response. Hey, wow. Uh, Nope. (laughs) 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 In green. Nope. It's like that octopus gift. Nope, 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 nope. nope, nope. All right. I had to ask. Um, okay. So uh, here, let me tell you a quick story. I want to tell you a story. So I was at the hardware store, which is Toys R Us for adults, right? And I was going through on you know what is, seems to be like a weekly run to get supplies for the house and other okay. things. And once again, I was getting you know sauerkraut making goods and other things. <laughs> and I was walking through one of the aisles and I saw a guy looking at paint or something, a huffer. No. And as I, as I was passing, I saw that he had a jacket with hydro, with a hydro logo on the jacket. Right. Okay. So as I passed, I whispered quietly to him, hail Hydra. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a rad story? 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, except for I actually really didn't do that. What happened was I passed, <laughs> and then I processed the jacket for about 10 minutes because I'm so sleep-deprived. And then I came back, and I said, I said, can we do a do-over? And he said, huh? I said, can we do a do-over? He goes, okay. So then I went, hail Hydra. And then we had a lap. So I, it took me 10 minutes to get, to get there, but it worked out fine. And then he sprayed his face with silver paint and was like, shiny and chrome, and rode off into the distance. <laughs> yes, he was part of the seventh episode of the X-Files reunion that didn't get aired. Anyway, so so that was a thing. I, just, I keep meaning to tell you about it. And, uh, nice. And you and maybe 333,000 listeners might have been interested. In Wouldn't it be awesome if we had this 10-minute delay in everything in life where we could just – Think out the right response and then say it. Everyone would be so much cooler. For years, I said, you know, gosh, why can't I have the pause and and replay or like jump back on on radio? If I ever listening to um, to public radio, for example, in the car when I when I would do that for periods of time, I'd always be like, I want to stop it. Kids (laughs) would be making noise, or I or I or absentmindedly reach over to the radio the way my little kids would touch the laptop screen. You know, right? Uh, And and then. And then I started – I got into podcasts thanks to you. And the thing that's frustrating about listening to podcasts on an iPhone is that the iPhone's interface, for better or for worse, has become a little bit more complicated in recent years. And in particular, the podcast uh, application is a little weird. And there's mm-hmm. only one place where you can get to editing controls about scrubbing so you can go forward and backward and, and pause it. I mean you can pause it at any time, which is okay right. if you can reach it or in a position to do that. but. Doesn't mm-hmm. the podcast app have like a back fifteen second button on it when you touch it? Yeah, but you have to have that that. Uh, oh, you have to have that screen up to get to it. To it. Yeah, and the, and the nature of plugging into the car is generally I don't have that up, and then I turn off the phone, and so you know, the time it takes me to get to that and do it safely means that I have to go back and scrub like five times. Right, where it was, you know. But at least it's there. Yeah. But, so anyway, what do you think? Do you, do you want to talk about a few news items before we get to the main event? Yeah, let's dive into a little bit of news. This press conference must be brief, ladies and gentlemen. You're lucky the dynamic duo will talk to you at all. You know, I genuinely like the stuff you have listed as nude items. I am completely unaware of, except for the Tomb Raider one. First of all, <laughs> first of all, you just said nude items. Nude items. That's a perfect segue to the first item I have written down here. <laughs> Uh, that Alicia Vikander has been cast as the new Tomb Raider. Yes. So she's the one who was in Ex Machina and yes. also in Man from Uncle. Yes. Okay. So right off the bat, that made that franchise as a reboot much more interesting to me. Oh, yeah, she's, absolutely. She's neat, not just visually, but I mean, she's an interesting, she's got a very interesting manner to her. She does. I think that would be really cool. And she seems. Like, that seems like a really unique role for her, but I think she'd do well in it. There was a lot of talk that Daisy Ridley was being courted for that, and I don't know if that's true. But... I don't know if I would have liked that as well, actually. I love Daisy Ridley, but I think uh, I think Vikander is a better choice. The problem is Daisy Ridley moving from Star Wars to something like Tomb Raider doesn't feel like enough of a stretch. Right. We've already seen her as an enterprising young woman with a utility belt who's doing cool stuff to get cool stuff right from the rec- from the ruins of things so i you know i don't i didn't like that segue too much but uh with Vic Under, i think that's a great i think that's a great poll and also from what i understand from the video games i don't play the more recent uh tomb raider reboot as a game has become much more um sort of realistic 
in style. I think that um, yeah, if I understand correctly, Uncharted made it more. Is that right? Uncharted kind of took it more seriously in its in its affect, and then Tomb Raider kind of copied that. Yeah, I think <laughs> that that's too? yeah. From what I've seen, like her proportions are more realistic, her situations are more realistic. And I, yeah, I think Vikander's a really good choice for it. I'd, I'd be interested to see what comes of it. I'm, it certainly can't be any more ludicrous than the Angelina Jolie one with John Voight and everybody else in it. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> we have short memories. You know, the, I, I never saw those movies. I saw a few clips of the first one. It just didn't seem like my cup of tea. But I, I will say there are a lot of actresses doing well including Vic Hunter, who are doing uh you know adventurous um action roles even possibly headlining the movies in a right. way that they weren't available before Jolie was able to bankroll that Tomb Raider I mean not only did it put her on the map but it put the concept of a female which is true in action on the map as cheesy as it was as part of its time right right it, it's important for that reason to me. Yeah. No, I could see I could see that point. Yeah. I don't mean to lecture you about a movie I didn't see. I'm just saying I, <laughs> I, I keep thinking that when I read that. It's got to be better than Jolie. And I'm like, well, I don't know. At the time people yeah, were I'm, pretty excited. I'm not saying you're sense. wrong, but you're wrong. That movie's not good at all. It's a Steven Pilas crap. Lindsay was outraged by that movie because she's supposed to be an archaeologist. And much <laughs> like Indiana Jones, she's like shooting bullets into clay soldiers and <laughs> absolutely destroying every piece of archaeology around her. It's just <laughs> ludicrous in that respect. <laughs> That's something that really bothers me too. I, when, anytime I see that in movies, things like that, I'm just really aggravated. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I can sit here at, at home and say, you know, well, that's not realistic in that fantasy movie. I could do it better. <laughs> what else is going on? Well, I don't know. I There's other stuff going on, but I'm unaware of it, so you're going to have to describe it to me. What about that thing that you said to me, which was, look at how the DC movie universe seems to be in a tailspin. You said that to me, I think, maybe, when you wrote that note about what we're going to talk about. Oh, no? oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I had seen part of this, that possibly James Wan is not going to be an Aquaman anymore. It kind of looks like Aqu- Aquaman's a bit of a hot mess right now. Did you ever see any of the Entourage show on HBO? I saw the first season. Okay, so it's it's crap. And it's wish fulfillment and, and materialistic fantasy and all this other stuff. And there's a lot of things that are wrong with it. When it was when it was sort of parroting itself, I liked it. And when it took itself seriously, I didn't. But, right. But the thing that I thought was hilarious in, in one of the seasons of it was that in between seasons, the Vinny Chase character had been – he had been elevated from his small part status to taking a huge movie. And he, and he did this – you know, like James Cameron's Aquaman. Oh, so he like did that. end up actually getting that role because I remember in the first season he was like up for the role and trying to get I, it. I think that he got it. Okay. The fact that I don't remember the details is a good thing. But the bottom <laughs> line was the the joke was that it was so ludicrous that they would green light an Aquaman movie right. and give it two hundred million dollars, right? And then here we are. You know, and once again it's the Marvel bias maybe for me, but I can look at <laughs> Marvel throwing wads of money at ant-man and say eh, we'll give it a try but then you know i think of you know wb throwing money at aquaman and i'm like well it's gonna be a tough sell yeah so i i don't 
I don't know. But, you know, so there's that's just rumor at this point. Um, and they definitely need him more than he needs them. That's for sure, because he's right. got a really good track record right now. But uh, Seth Graham, hmm, Seth Graham something, who was the director on Flash, has walked away. I like like the showrunner, or you mean the movie Flash? The movie Flash. Okay. So he was the first official uh, cancellation. Oh, well, I guess other than Wonder Woman. But he was the first official cancellation or you know, collapse of the deal that was in place after the, uh, the Batman v Superman movie came out. So okay. now I wasn't that familiar with his catalog. I don't think I've seen any of the movies he had done, but yeah, they were pretty excited. Him and and uh, the fact that he walked. So that to me was a little bit more alarming in terms of the health of that franchise mm-hmm. than potentially James Wan leaving because James Wan's a big name right. in, in what he does. And so, you know, you can kind of see him already shuffling his schedule and having all this stuff. And so maybe he just decides, okay, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. But this uh, this other director, I think it's much more small time. And for mm-hmm. him to walk, it's sort of like when some of the stranger choices walked away from the Star Wars franchise early on when they when they were preparing the, the reboots at Disney and, and the, or the requels or whatever it is. Right. Um, and, and you're thinking, well, exactly whose reputation are you trying to, you know, if, if, if as a small time director as an indie director you're afraid to have your name on it then that's right yeah it's i don't know i I really have concerns about eight oh james wan did saw didn't he i remember that now and he did like the most more recent fast and furious movies yeah yeah which is super weird supposedly uh snyder is getting into big battles with executives at at the WB and given that uh, justice league is filming or is about to film, right. That's true. And that may, maybe he gets in battles all the time and we don't know. And maybe that's <laughs> not even be. true, but it certainly follows the rhetoric of, of distaste or, you know, whatever dissatisfaction with what happened with Batman V Superman and, and right. questions we had about, could they, could they do any course corrections if they've already like they're flying into justice league and right. this movie just, I don't know. But uh, I don't know. Hmm. At this point, the highlight of that whole franchise seems to be the the word that Affleck and Jeff Johns have creative control of the Batman solo film. If that's in fact true, that's a really yeah. good sign. Well, and right? Wonder Woman's invisible jet's kind of flying under the radar, too. <laughs> I see what you did. You did a thing there with the jump. Well, the, although I will say um, just, I guess, today or yesterday, whatever it was there was some unsubstantiated thing that said that they were planning on throwing the kitchen sink into the Batman movie. Like every rogues gallery member oh, possible. Brother. And I can, and I can conceive of a scenario where there could be a legitimate script that goes that route where mm-hmm. there's an art asylum, uh, breakout. Like, like he's in, right. like remember we were talking about, it would be more interesting if he was in, in that last scene in Batman v Superman, that if there was something more to him just showing up at prison. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always liked the idea that um, Batman walks into the den of all of his all of his victims, I guess, uh, to talk to someone when he wants information. Right. Right. Cool. I know that's a recurring theme in the video games and the comics, but I think that would be a, a legitimate way of having the whole gallery being that he's in there and then someone orchestrates the release of all those prisoners. And now he has to fight, beat down all these people that he put away one by one. That's a great primer. For right. Solo film. To set the stage for how good he is, yeah. Just, you know, I don't know. Or even that that's the, that is the premise to the movie that it's sort of a diehard out on its way out of prison. That'd be super cool. Yeah, I'd be okay with he that. 
They didn't ask me though, so it doesn't. <sighs> Man. <laughs> uh, Which, based off the, the only... dialogue you gave us in the last one, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, man, comma. So, the only other thing I was going to mention before we get to their main thing is, uh, uh, I'm just. <sighs> so I'm our I'm the resident optimist around here, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the one that's arguing that there's some hope for all these projects that other people that we know are outraged about and flipping the switch and freaking out, but. I'm having some trouble in my mind rationalizing this X-Men apocalypse. I keep wanting it to spin, just get out of the spin and, yeah. you know, something good. But everything I see is making me more and more like, well, you know, maybe I'll have more whiskey before that one. Right, right. Yeah, there's uh, there's so much about it that I want to love. But, yeah, like, Singer keeps rationalizing shit instead of just being like, I'm the director, this is the movie I'm making, you'll enjoy it. And, yeah, there's just... It's it's a little niggling shit that probably wouldn't bother me if I did if this movie had come out ten years ago kind of thing, and now it's like internet, meh, meh, meh. but it does make me a little concerned about it. Well, it's like House of Cards has shown. Um, you know, he's he's engaging on the minutia, and it completely undermines his his the perception of of whether he's got control of the ship or not. Right, right. Like, I I feel like if he had had it, first of all, I feel like if that's really true, that they just didn't have time to modulate Oscar Isaac's voice in that right. first trailer. Then they shouldn't have either done the trailer or they should have just, I mean, I could do it on my computer now, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, even if it's not the permanent one, can you imagine if how great that first trailer would have been if it had one of those, you know, mutants come to me, you know, like those crazy right. computer voices from the 90s. That would have been great. <laughs> Or happier. My computer is the best on earth. So the the fact that he didn't or he supposedly didn't have time to do that is a depressing choice. But the fact that he doesn't have a handler saying, uh, you should probably not be responding to these things. On right. Yeah, they need to they need to take away Brian Singer's Twitter or whatever it is he's responding to people on for now. <laughs> sad though, you watch that latest one. How sad is it that when you see the, the last scene with the Wolverine Claws <laughs> And you think to yourself, you can see that he's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be like Spider-Man. Right. The, the, the crowd's going to go wild because everyone loves you, Jack. Why isn't anyone writing about this on the internet? And then, <laughs> right. You know, it feels so pale. You know what would have been so much more powerful is if they just had him, like, passing by in the background as, like, literally just like a background character at one point in the trailer. Then you people would have been like, oh, my God, was that was that Wolverine in the background there? Instead, oh. they're just like... Also starring Wolverine. Yeah. Or like cigars <laughs> cigars and ashtrays. Just yeah. Randomly. Yeah, I would love something beer cans, like that. The beer cans all around the Harley, you know, those classic tropes. Right. Yeah. And the other thing, um, yeah, like you said about how he's he's def- he's spending all this energy defending his choices instead of just owning them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what's causing me to be more concerned about this than other films that I went in with low expectations about is that I see so much potential. The The way that they've chosen to, to move this script along, assuming what we're seeing in the trailers is accurate, right. and the casting that they did, I see so much potential for a seriously awesome movie, and I'm yes. just not sure that's what we're going to get. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So anyway, at the very least, if nothing else, we've got Olivia Munn swinging swords around and, <laughs> you know, shoulder pads. and Yeah. You know, 
I was no fan of 80s, 80s and 90s X-Men costumes and certainly 90s X-Men stories and art. So the prospect of uh, Jim Lee era uh, X-Men uniforms uh, is not thrilling to me, but I like the I do like this evolution in time periods that mm-hmm. we've had in this new round of these movies for the X-Men where they're in different decades and they have different looks to them. That part yeah. I like. Yeah. Uh, so I still choose to be positive. It's just it's harder. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a little break and then uh, yes. and then we just dive in, right? Yeah. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with our review. Unaware of what year it was, Joe wandered the streets desperate for help. But the English language had deteriorated into a hybrid of hillbilly, valley girl, inner city slang, and various crumbs. Joe was able to understand them, but when he spoke in an ordinary voice, he sounded pompous. We're back, and we're talking about Game of Thrones, Season 6, Episode 2. Wait, is this Kraken Reviews? This is Kraken Reviews. This is the segment where we review something that we liked, or maybe we didn't like. Right? We reviewed something we watched. <laughs> uh, check. <laughs> so last week's uh, Game of Tolls was uh, was was the the place setting episodes yes. they often do at the beginning of a season, right? They just right. remind everybody about the current location of some of the characters, right? Reestablish some of the plot lines because there are thirty three hundred characters in Game <laughs> of Thrones. These are people and, we have, uh, and this is where they are. <laughs> and yet not even the ones and they didn't even focus on a lot of the ones that have not been seen in a season. It was right. It was almost entirely about was it all or almost entirely about everyone that had been in season five. Uh, yeah, I think so, because we didn't get the Greyjoys or Bran or yeah. Yeah. So it was almost entirely just people from the previous season, basically. So this episode, season two or season six, episode two. Holy hell. A little more focused in. And, and a lot happening. Yeah, episode, right? a lot happening. I read a thing that said we just got to see, uh, uh, what is it, Lyanna for the first time, who's the most yeah. important character. You know, one would might argue in the books continuity, She's, one of the most important characters in Game of Thrones. We saw her for the first time, and we got Hodor's real name. Yeah, 15 more minutes of content after. Yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was pretty crazy. They, they. I mean, they dove us right in with flashback scene. I think that was pretty cool. I thought it's it was funny cool. though. It's funny that since he's last on camera, um, Bran has aged four years. Right? Like, he's good just... lord. Yeah, yeah. He's taller. I feel so bad for poor. Hodor having to carry adult Bran around. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate the fact that he's. I mean, he's delicate. He's always been delicate, like he's been gentle about what he does, but right. he hasn't been graceful. So right. he always just kind of flops him, which is very, uh, <laughs> you know, very humbling. Like, he's never really like, he's not, like just rested down, like as if he's in a seated position. Or right. He's like flopped down on his side. <laughs> yeah. He just plops him down and he kind of lifts his head up and it's like, thanks, Hodor. Hodor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I don't know the nature of, of his injury and whether, you know, the degree to which he's disabled. But, uh, you know, if he even if he is a paraplegic, it could be he could have a, str- a lot of difficulty sitting in any sort of upright right. position um, without ha- being fully balanced. And, you know, there's no real reason to do that if you've become accustomed to the situation right. he's in where he's being flopped around like left and right. <laughs> he just ends up just not wasting any unnecessary energy. But 
Um, it, at the same time, if you imagine uh, his character without Hodor around, yeah, be dead. Just be dead in that world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting too the way they're doing the flashbacks where he can walk and move around and have a little bit of physicality. And I like, I like that. I like. I think it's a cool way to do that. It's it's somewhere between astral projection and you know this sort of topsy turvy multi dimensional space time thing. Where is it a is it a dream state or is it real? Right. Does it does it even matter? Yeah. Is it a construct or not? Is he really in time? You know, looking at the you know go, whatever the ghost of Christmas past, or is he? It, you know. Or is it all just a construct of his mind? It doesn't even matter. Right. But it's so awesome to watch him do it. And I love the subtlety of the way they show us that he is warging. Like I like – I mean obviously we know he is. But right. I like that he's you know, he's all into it and then you know, time to go. Nah, I just need a little bit more and then there's the hand touch and then he's out. Yeah. And well, another then, one of – yeah. I think, ahead, it's, I think it's kind of interesting too because in the books – which is this is probably going to be one of the last times I can say this <laughs> in the books. Right. Um, if I remember correctly, when he goes back in time with the with the three eyed raven and the the man under the tree and stuff, he is seeing things through like the um, the god tree with the faces and that kind of thing. Oh, cool! I like that idea. Which, yeah, I thought that was really interesting, and to have them go this route where they're kind of the the ghosts on the scene adds a little more versatility to it. But yeah, the I always like the image of him like looking through that that weeping white birch face. Yes. But yes, yes. I can see That's why the they didn't do that. Version. Yeah, That's totally. The carnival version is we would have a couple of you'd see all this action. And then you'd see still shots, right? Essentially, frame with the weeping tree, just yeah, there while they're moving around in front of it, and you'd see that he's seeing through the tree. That yeah. would have been actually pretty dope. Yeah, uh, this this is terrible. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> we sh- we we should mention to our listeners that there will be spoilers in this conversation <laughs> of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> too late for that, man. It is too so, late. We're we're full bore into winter here. The, the name of that podcast would just be spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Robot cracking spoilers. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, really interesting that um, Liana is shown for the first time in the flesh, but also young, young Ned Stark and Benjamin. And yeah. Yep. His brother, and then uh, what's his name with the mutton chops? I forget. Um, mutton yeah. chops. Cool, and the and a reminder that everybody is unstable when they're young and is learning, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's deified, it's fully deified in that world. Absolutely, among the people that knew him, and it's neat to see him fumbling along. Well, I guess that uh, line that he gives to Benjen is almost an exact line that um, Jon Snow gives to somebody in like season right. one. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I loved. It's another one of these really great lines pieces of dialogue that just stuck with me is when he said um you know it's it's beautiful under the sea but if you don't if you don't come up you'll drown yeah that was such a oh that was such great. an evocative way of describing that if you work too long you'll get lost in it yeah yeah i thought that was really nice actually um so what is the name of the character that is played by the woman that played the daughter in riches she's the 
surviving <laughs> member of the brother sister team that took him to the uh, Mira. Mira, I think is her name. Did you see Riches ever? Did you see that show? I saw most of Riches, and I did not realize that she was the daughter in that until you said that just then. There you go. There you go. You learn something every day. What was she staring at? Was she? Do we see that she's seeing anything, or she's just? The only thing I can really get from that is that possibly she's looking out over the field where her brother was killed horribly. Right. I that's I, outside of that, it looks like she's just looking out across the wastelands and the wintry wonderland of beyond the wall. Sure. <laughs> well, so that was that was pretty pretty uh, great way to start the episode, and then we also learned. Uh... I'm not sure how I feel about the under tree girl. The weird elf woman that's hanging the, out with them so was she around before i, I if she was she didn't look like that um she's called they're called the children of the forest and they're right, kind okay. of like the elves of the game of thrones universe aren't they the previous humanoids before? right they're kind of who ruled the world before the humans took over kind of thing and they went underground literally in some cases apparently she was kind of Is weird man- looking is the man under the tree, the three-eyed raven or whatever, is he Is he literally woven into that tree? Like, I is believe, he a metaphysical being at this point? Yeah, I believe in the books he is like, like half his body is eaten up by roots and you can see them like growing through his skin. And I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a really powerful image and I'm kind of surprised they didn't use it with him when they show him in the tree. But they will. They might. They yeah. Together, yeah. Yeah. They've really never shown anything but just his face when he's actually in the in the real world, so to speak. But it was pretty cool. They named Hodor off of uh, Hudson Hawk. That was neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what they were aiming for there. <laughs> that's a different name than he had in the book too, which I thought was odd. Oh really? Yeah, it's what not the first time they've. Uh, it's, it was something else that started with a W, but it was. Oh, God, it was the same name as the 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 father really Frey, um, Walder Walder Frey, and so it was Walder in the books, and they changed it to 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 Willis. <laughs> I'm sure it was after Hudson Hawk. Yeah. So now I really want him to be Willie Lumpkin, but no. So I can't have that either. Well, technically, so Willis, Willie could be short there. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that was a neat. That was neat to see them there. Um, yeah. I. I wonder. Do you think? Is there any? I don't know. Do you think that they're ever going to change the dynamic of Bran being uh, just carried around by Hodor like that, or do you think? I mean, do you think they ever, they're ever going to? Put him in a position where either he can walk again, or he's going to have some sort of a backpack or something like any sort you know, of different thing than that. A backpack, I said that, but you know what I mean. I really, genuinely wonder if he's going to get to the point where he's like warging in and out of animals, or possibly taking over Hodor's body. Wow, that's a good point. Didn't he? Wait, did he one time do that? He controlled this... Hodor briefly, yeah. like when the skeletons were attacking or something like that. Right, he right, worked right. into him. And I know that that's something like that he's capable of doing is taking over animals, obviously, and bodies and that kind of thing. And so I would be – I doubt they'll ever have Bran like waltzing around or 
trumbling around in Yoda's backpack or whatever. But I could see them possibly having him take over a body or something. Well, so the other the reason I asked that is that I wondered if he's destined to be woven into a tree as well or something similar. I, I kind of think that's his fate, honestly. I think he's going to become kind of the the next tree beard or whatever they call this guy, the three-eyed raven. <laughs> now, is there... Can we absolutely rule out that the three-eyed raven is him? That's true. I guess I bl- that I is possible. Mind. My mind blown. So you're saying Max von Sydow is just Bran older and under the tree, and he's seeing him as an old man? That he's moved out of space-time. Like, he's Ooh. now become... He's become an entity... Infused That's... with magic to the point where he's not where the time is immaterial. The sep- the, right. The separation between the past and the present doesn't exist anymore for him because we've established that he's going back in time. To right. Time he never it, Bran never lived. And initially when that scene started, I thought he was warg- somehow warging into the eyes of an animal or something that was living at that time. Right. But they didn't even establish that. It's all no. just visiting. Yeah. So that means to wonder, are they out of space time? In which case, are they possibly the same person? That would be pretty kick-ass. And that's why I was asking a little bit about being woven into the tree, because it made me wonder if the three-eyed raven can walk. We've not right. seen him walk, right? No, we've we haven't never seen him, seen him walk. Right? Yeah, and like even in the, the dream thing, he didn't move. He just was there kind of thing. They didn't ask me, though, Chris. So That's, that's a really interesting idea. It's... Pretty sci-fi and trippy, but I could see yeah. that being a really cool way of doing that. I what like else? it. What else? what else happened? Let's see I here. Take your praise, and let's just move on to the we... next <laughs> I think the next one we moved to was King's Landing, wasn't it? And the funeral of... Ooh, trippy scene. Little blonde girl, uh, whose name I can't remember. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, Marcella, yeah. They all sound the same, all the names in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was another really great... I mean, I don't think that the actor playing Tommen is is fantastic. He isn't. He's a little stiff. His story is... Yeah, and and boy kings that are either... I I, I guess a manic boy king was a little bit more interesting, or a little um, sadistic boy king was a little more interesting than this... um, Little pussy boy king, wilting, (laughs) wilting willow. But uh, I just had no patience for him sitting there all puffy lip, going so so sorry. You know, like I just I wanted that over with as soon as possible. But they got where I wanted him to go, which was him like saying, "Toughen me up." Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. And I liked that his. Well, and I guess technically it started with that scene in the town of the guy bad mouthing Cersei and. So do you think the mountain was walking by, or do you think he, he they got word that this, this guy, guy was telling just that story? bragging? Because it definitely had that that tone, like he's been telling. This is like a tall tale he tells right. all the time at the pub. Yeah, right? like everybody at the pub's just like, "Oh, brother, this story again." I I think that's what it was. Was that rumor had gone around that this guy was telling this story, and Tormund Giant's Bane was like, "Screw this noise," and just oh, that scene was great. I struggle. To, I struggle with the logic of the of the construction of the scene because I can't imagine that Cersei and her handler would, or her agent, I guess, would right. be worried about what one dope, 
one right. commenter is saying about her when she just wandered through the streets and had penises wagging in her face for <laughs> 10 miles. I mean, the entire populace was mocking her. So Right. And it is possible making... maybe he was just wandering past and was just like, this guy, crush. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that struck me as I... I went back and rewound it because I thought rewound it. See, because it's like physical media that I have to wind backwards. So I I went back and watched it again, thinking that maybe you see him walk by and stop. Right. But no, it's just like he just happens to show up and brain him. Yeah. But I love this. Twice in one episode, we see effortless uh, kinetic energy from very large people. It's really neat. It was horrifying. Really really nice. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. There was like no... No stress on that guy there. He was just blam melon against the wall, <laughs> really like an old melon. Yeah, and, uh, and, and uh, oh, this has been a brutal episode, but it didn't feel forced. There have been episodes in the past where it felt like they were, you know, this is the money shot, right? Some breasts, and then a decapitation, whatever. Tits and dragons, as you say. <laughs> but this is one where I mean, this episode felt very organic, so to speak. It they did. Sm- they just smashed their way through five or six people in one episode and it was great it's like they wasted no more time yeah yeah so, that scene with jamie and the the high sparrow yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. great a little ah, bit of scenery getting... chewing but in the best way but they have so i i thought i really like how jamie navigates this i'm supposedly your uncle but not really your uncle thing yeah I apologize to your mother and all that stuff but the interaction with uh what's his name price price uh yeah jonathan price jonathan price Uh, it's just he is getting so much out of this simple role he really is the 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 casual non-threat that becomes a thing and all of that stuff with all the thugs you know the yeah warrior monks all around i mean it just was so palatable well and i loved the way jonathan price just stood there looking super humble but he had this sparkling little mischief in his eyes that was just perfect where he knew exactly how things were going to play out he he knows jamie's a badass but he also knows jamie is missing a hand and well and also he's a political animal he knows he is there's more than just the emotional response. Jamie yeah. has been fairly consistent that way. Yeah, and he knows that Jamie's not stupid enough to do something like that because he actually measures his his reactions as unlike most of the rest of the Lannister family. <laughs> I read a thing that said that when Jamie Lannister is the voice of reason in Westeros or in King's Landing, then you know there's a serious problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that the the talk they had about his repercussions and whether he deserved to be punished for what he'd done. Oh, it was great. Yeah. And what was so great about it was he was challenging the Sparrow right. to take him in. Put me like in chains. Just, do the same thing to me that you did to my sister. This is what I did. Look at all these things I did. Are you going to take me in? Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that Sparrow didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Like, he's standing right there on the floor of the church challenging him and whether or not what he did was a sin. And the Sparrow's just like, cut me down if you think. (laughs) Well, what was cool about that to me was that it was a reminder that with all of – despite all of this sort of Reformation rhetoric among his cult, um, it is political. Yeah. It is overthrowing a monarchy. It right. is about – it's a very socialist thing. It's all – it's very fundamental stuff. And he didn't 
he didn't go after Jamie Lannister because there's no political gain to Absolutely. go after Jamie Lannister. Yeah, it he would can destroy cause... him if it gets into battle. Right. There's no reason to. There's no reason to to arrest him because you're not making a point to the people by doing right. so. Right. It would cause it more problems happen. politically than it would benefit. Really. I don't know. I don't know if it would cause problems or if it would. If it's just the people that they've imprisoned, they're they're striking at the. Uh, previously seemingly untouchable and delicate members of the ruling class. Right. Whereas he's essentially a a soldier. (laughs) He's a soldier. He's a high-ranking soldier. He's the the captain of the guard or whatever it is they call him. But he's not, you know, he's not one of the untouchables. And the whole principle of, of... collapsing a monarchy is that you know the the reigning the reigning family has that power because we let them have the power if you <laughs> exactly. don't let them have the power then they don't have it right and the only way they have it is by having the army with them and in this particular case you know he he's got that covered right and so i thought that was fantastic i love that scene yeah i thought that was really and great also uh it's another i mean they've done some great sets on this this that show it's always just phenomenal He's constrained, these really claustrophobic little shacks and yeah. all these one and you have these grand halls that are cold and they have a little fire burning because they just can't even you know, they can't heat it. And <laughs> right. then you have spaces like this, which is this huge vault with light light is streaming in, but it's so high up and and you know Yeah it's, it's, to see things, but it doesn't feel warm at all. Yeah, this is one of the sets that they've used quite often in this in the show now, and it's powerful every single time you see it. It's just it's so beautifully shot that that circle and how tall it is. It's just yeah. there's so many different levels of interest. I love that set. I think it's amazing. A number of really great set pieces in this episode, and I was I was aware of them while I was watching it. I loved the you know what's always been the most interesting about Pike is mm-hmm. in the model in the opening yeah. credits. Yeah. It pops up the the, the bridges bounce, the bridges, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I love that there was a pivotal scene on that. I love, I, I, I really love the imagery of the Bolton's throne room because it's so cold. It's everything yeah. is blue, blue, blue. Everything is just freezing cold and harsh, right? And it just has this. It looks like brutalist architecture, right? Right. It's just so terrible. And then, uh, and then I also really like the intimacy of the the room that Jon Snow's body is in. It Absolutely. feels like it's some little cabin. Yeah. You know, that really works. I mean, you can imagine a circumstance where they're dealing with the body in a grand hall of some sort. Right. But it wouldn't have, that would be very, it would have a lot of symbol, sim, symbolism to it. Yeah. The fact that it's in this intimate little room and they've got like four guys, a body and a wolf and you know it doesn't smell great in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're bumping shoulders and they've got to move oh, yeah. things out of the way. I loved how intimate and tight those quarters were when melisandre's not when it seems like she's failing in her spellcasting and the wilding you're jumping and, ahead tom no i know but when, he's, <laughs> but when he's trying to turn to eye roll and he hits the wall because he can't eye roll right around, right that's a small, small room <laughs> so then what else happened so after that what what was the next scene uh i can't remember which was next necessarily but the boltons obviously that one that's a pretty great scene or were you, sequence. So, were you surprised at that t- chain of events? You know, I really wasn't. I I assumed it would happen. I, I I thought 
that maybe the baby thing would happen first and he mm. would kill his father out of necessity afterwards or something. But I assumed it was going to happen eventually. They've turned him into the mad dog of the show. And yep. he's got to be the ultimate villain. And so anything... He's probably one of the ones that strikes both positive and negative for me because I love that actor. I think he's yeah. so fantastic. He's squirmy and squicky and creepy. Squicky. But at the same time, he is such a cartoonish, oh, anything that could possibly be done wrong, this guy's doing it kind of thing. There's a show called Misfits. I've told you about it. <laughs> we are not going to mention Misfits on every single episode, Tom. Oh, we will. Pretty soon I'm just going to say, hey, did you see Misfits? So, uh, so here's why I was surprised by it. I wasn't surprised by something befalling the air. Mm -hmm. But what I was surprised by was that it was such – it seems so poor in terms of strategy to kill Roos Bolton. And yeah. Roos Bolton, if he were to take if, – if, if, if Roos was going to make a move on someone, he's going to plan it out and he's going to do it very strategically as, right. as we saw him do, decimating the Starks. Right. Uh, but he, it, it's not surprising that – Ramsey would turn on him, but it was surprising that he would do it at a time when they're so uh, unstable. Yeah, yeah. And he, and I would have thought that he would try to manipulate his his adopted father or keep him around longer because there would be enough of these other families. He was arguing, "Do we need all those other families?" He said right. that two or three times. And you get the get the feeling when the guy's standing next to him, the, the car Stark, car Stark, uh, you, you get the feeling that maybe the, the fix might be in at that point that he's right. already had those discussions. But, um, you know, you still think that Roose Bolton's work over decades would have had um, would have been valuable to him. Yeah. In the long in the long game. But at the same time, I kind of felt like this wasn't a long game decision. I don't think it was spontaneous. I don't I think, think he think always it was either. To do it. But I think it was, well, might as well do it now then. I think the it. second that baby was a boy and it was a live birth, right. he did it. And it, it was preceded by his father telling him no to his plans. And previously his father had been like, yeah, go ahead and do that. But do it slightly differently in a little bit more of a Roose Bolton kind of way. And he was actually very discouraging about it. He was belittling him in that moment yeah. right before in a very wise it was wise words right it was not easy to hear right and i don't think ramsey's capable of hearing those kind of words and not having a emotional response to it because he's not a stable person by any straight chance of the word at all yeah you have to think that when they uh when they film this i think they filmed this before force awakens came out i would assume so yeah but at the same time you have to imagine that the you know, they went to see Force Awakens and were like, ah, oh. you know, we just did that <laughs> right. 10 times more powerfully. Right. Because, you know, the embodied history between, you know, <laughs> that character and the audience. But even so, uh, my coworker was telling me, I asked her if she was uh, sympathetic, had any sympathy for a Roose Bolton. And she mm -hmm. said, none whatsoever. They're bastards. Do you remember what they did? And whatever they all right. did. But what I think is powerful about the show is that I, I feel the deaths. I don't feel the braining on the wall guy, but mm -hmm. I feel the deaths of long-standing characters because, right or wrong, good or bad, they're all being fairly Machiavellian. They're being, you mm -hmm. know, they're toughing it out in what's equivalent to the Dark Ages, right? Right. I mean, brutal times. Things are happening. 
we joke about how long the season is, but it's really a fairly short period of time. It's when there's really a, short, yeah. And there has been instability in the kingdom since the the Battle of the Five Kings or whatever it is. Right. Uh, this is a time of great change, great change mm-hmm. in in that world. And when you see someone like Bolton stabbed, ambushed and stabbed, you know, I saw that. And, you know, it wasn't even like sometimes I'll see something like that and it'll be my my parent, my parental brain will kick in and be like, oh, he's stabbed by his father or right. by his son. Fought with Force Awakens. In this case, I just was like, he just got, he just got ambushed and killed and that's that and then they're talking with the body on the ground well and he went out with such a yeah the the scene where he's just laying there looking dead looked just terrible and he went out on such a limb to do what he did for his bastard son too legitimizing him and listening to him letting him get away with his little picadillos with his flaying and torturing and his little reek that he's got towed around and he went to I assume great expense to get uh, Sansa up there for Theon in the first place, kind of thing, right. and or not for Theon, but for Ramsay. And that's fan fiction, you yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, Ramsay, it did feel I, he he was wielding Ramsay as a tool. Right, he was wielding him as a tool, as a as a as a as an, an ungra- non-graceful instrument, but he right. was using him. But I think he did have fondness for him, but I think it was based on if he can, I'm fond of his ambition. Right. If he can accomplish what he wants to do, I will be happy. Yeah. You know, I, it, it suits me. It suits my goals kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, he was a little bit emotional more than I really took that character to be. Right. But nonetheless, he still got stabbed in the face or, or stabbed in the, you know, face to face, and he's a right. great war leader, and he was taken out. <clears throat> it's just like when Stannis was killed off screen. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people really dislike Stannis' story the whole time. I I had a lot of sympathy for him. I thought he made some tragic decisions, and he, he was, did. He was brutalized by guilt, and he had, and he was having the most tragic, just horrible, horrible Shakespearean arc right. for someone who's trying to claim a throne that they think is legitimately theirs. Right. He was driven entirely by honor and his belief that what he was doing was the right thing. And some of that was being manipulated, but he was still doing something that he thought was the right thing to do. I was thinking about that the other day. I can't, I'm not sure I can remember a, a, a move that Stannis made that wasn't internally righteous. Right. He was convinced by the Red Woman that some of these horrible things he was doing and the losses he was suffering on the battlefield with his soldiers freezing and all that stuff, that it was going to lead to the outcome that was predetermined. Right. He is, he is engaging the will of this god to do mm-hmm. this. And these are necessary sacrifices, but this is what's supposed to happen. And even when he's sacrificing his own daughter, which was the most brutal thing, oh, so horrible, <laughs> he's still was he saw himself as doing he was making the tough decision that he needed to make you know right this is what this is what it takes i have to be do i have to do this to be king and i have to be king and this is what's meant to be i'll do it and in the end his army is routed and he's you know decapitated on a tree right i felt bad just thinking about him at that moment because he did seem so i don't want to say deflated but he seems so resigned to right. the reality of a situation when she came upon him. Well, and it's it's kind of interesting to think about the fact that realistically, Stannis has the most in common with Ned Stark in this show, right. 
both of them did what they thought was right and what their honor led them to do. The real difference was that Ned had so much more of a family thing versus that Red Queen that had been manipulating him and everything else. Well, Ned Stark um, did everything he could to avoid being in King's Landing. Right. And and was lured into the intrigue out of honor. Right. And then killed. Whereas Stannis was doing everything he could be to get into King's Landing. But his <laughs> exactly. Honor him down and right. Um, also, uh, what was the other thing about that scene? Oh, you know, the whole thing about how to dispatch the uh, the the wife and the baby. Right. Um, I thought they played that out just the right amount of time. You I know what he's planning. She's starting to get nervous about it. But when he starts unlocking the doors one at a time, but they don't run out because right. he's got them so trained. They're waiting for the signal. I yeah. thought that was really great tension. Yeah, I thought was that was really, really good. Yeah, I think it, it's another clear sign that Ramsey has no idea how to be politically savvy in terms of things. Because if anyone holds a grudge, it's the fucking phrase. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I imagine there's going to be some repercussions. Yep. He kills not only the the daughter, but the daughter's newborn child. And regardless of how well he thinks he has the rest of that castle under his thumb, there's no way that's not getting to Walder Frey at some point here. Yeah, that was that was dope. I loved it. I I just basically think they were just firing on all cylinders all through that, yeah. that whole sequence. I thought it worked out great. And I was surprised that they dispatched Roos in the second episode. I thought that was I was shocking. really surprised, yeah. And I think they, like you said, I think they they did just the right amount of suspense, just the right amount of violence with that, with uh, what's-her-name and the baby getting killed by the dogs. I thought that was just the perfect way to do that. I kept waiting for him to, like, throw her in, throw the baby in the fire when she handed him to him and that kind of yeah. thing. But that was what was so chilling about it was that he yeah. held the baby, looked right at it, looked at its innocence, and yeah. then handed it back. Handed it back. Yeah. Which was just so crazy. And there was a lot of um, imagery that made me think of Sam's wife or – Yeah, I could lo- see that. Lover with her baby. There was a lot of that same sort of thing where, you know, how – you know, you're you're a woman who is not skilled in combat. You're already in big right. trouble and – in uh, Westeros, but now you have a newborn, and it's and you're in the freezing cold. I mean, yeah. it's such a vulnerable position to be in, and her fate was like what Sam was desperately trying to avoid right. in the previous season, right? Just knowing that she was going to get cornered, well, as she was at some point, right? She's just going to be cornered, and what is she supposed to do? Right, baby and everything. So anyway, so what else? What else? What was uh, we had a really short scene with Theon and Sansa and. Those guys. I mean, it was, it was like like virtually ignorable, honestly. Well, but, you know, my initial reaction was like, why is he breaking off? Right. I mean, we, you know, I've seen the casting things. I know they've cast a lot of uh, Greyjoys and this mm-hmm. is going to be a thing. But it was, it initially felt strange that he would be, they went through all this and then he was going to be like, I'm out. Right. But then, you know, I was thinking about the dialogue afterwards, and he was basically saying, you know, I would have taken you there knowing that they would kill me once I got there. Right. Except now you have someone who can defend you and take you there and everything else. So what's the point? Right. And he was sort of begging her, you know, almost like, you know, I got you this far. Let me go. <laughs> I, I don't deserve I don't deserve uh, forgiveness. 
but you, you know, know the weird thing about that though is like if if my memory of the map of Westeros is correct, they pretty much have to go right past Castle Black on the way to the the islands that he's yeah. headed to for his family. So it's like he's like I'm just going to ride on ahead. We may run into each other time and again. <laughs> <laughs> on the road just no, no, don't like don't make the, eye contact it'd be like with the hound you know i'll go take the high road, you take the right. road. <laughs> I, yeah it wasn't my favorite detail yeah so probably my least favorite um i was more interested in i was interested in seeing some in some tension between brianne and him right and, and poor know. pod trying to light that fire for the entire scene <laughs> <laughs> I was like, somebody although, help him! <laughs> although, although, uh, Dion was right. He's like, don't light the fire. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, totally right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and it was interesting to see that Sansa seemed to have some genuine feelings for her, you know, Well, and really she kind of really grew up with him as a brother. And but she saw, heard about and saw all the things he had done. Right. It was interesting that meant that she had forgiven those I don't know, trespasses or whatever. Yeah, she came back around to it at least and was like, you know, you really are the guy that I grew up with and not the guy that murdered my brothers and (laughs) everything else. And and absolutely true. He did sacrifice everything. Right. He risked everything. Didn't sacrifice anything. He risked everything to free her. Right. To try to keep her safe. He did try to, he did honestly try to throw himself at the swords so that she could escape. Right. So I think that meant a lot to her. Yeah, so far those scenes, the scenes both in this episode and the previous episode have kind of been the weakest for me. Yeah. But hopefully they'll they'll come around. Sansa is kind of like that. She she either has really crappy scenes or her scenes are really powerful, it seems like. I feel like the only times I really liked Sansa were I liked her during the wedding scene when at the reception uh what's his name the old crappy boy king was poisoned <laughs> right uh, what's his name again uh oh shit uh crappy boy king yeah that that's that's good enough right this is this is something Lan- king lannister <laughs> king lannister this is your one stop shop for some serious game of thrones nerdery right here <laughs> what's his name Crappy Boy King. God, what <laughs> so, is his name? It's been so long I've forgotten now. <laughs> I'm going to pretend you're not him debating. So uh, the, but it, I like that sequence. That I like that whole scene. And then I liked um, – and I really liked when Littlefinger had groomed her and she had you – know, she showed yes. up and she was in black and she had the pendant and all that stuff. And you think she's just going to be like, I'm the protege. Right. slap everyone around and then nothing you – know, nothing. where happens. the hell is Littlefinger in all this anyway? I don't know yet. I like legit. I, don't even know where he's at. <laughs> Is he still yeah. back at the airy? Well, but I thought. Hmm. I don't remember whether he actually went into the field or not. But wasn't his whole thing? Didn't he throw in with Stannis's? I think he was at least integrating him in. Them? But I don't know if he actually like joined with him so much as like, hey, here's some advice. Little finger out. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I like thinking about in the previous season, I think it was the previous one where you saw that, um, that Davos went to the bank, that crazy international bank. Oh yeah. On the, island, on the Island of Bankness or whatever. 
and got the <laughs> got funds to to hire the mercenary army to make that raid. And there was that reference to the fact that they're hiring that they're actually funding multiple people in the same battle because one of them's going to win. Yeah, yeah, it's I did like that. Uh, so anyway, what else? what else? What else? What's next? The uh, what about the the Greyjoys? The Greyjoys. So we have we heard about that brother that showed up, Euron. Um, they've mentioned him in passing, like friggin' two seasons ago when the Greyjoys were around. Um, That's crazy. The king, well, I can't remember his name now. Um, oh, I had it and I lost it. La, 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 la. Balon. Balon. Balon has three brothers. He has Euron, Victarion, and. Um, Aaron. And Aaron is. He's more old... lumbar support than the others. Well, Aaron's the one that basically he turned to God. He was on a ship and drowned, or virtually drowned, and so he turned to the drowned God. He's the one that they show after Balon dies, sending him out, and he's got wow. the damp hair. They call him the damp hair. Right, right, with all the sh- the seashells all over yeah. him. He says, you, know, you may be the one to lead us and you may not be. Right, and so he's super philosophical. He kind of stays out of the actual, like, intrigue end of things. Mm-hmm. The other two brothers went off and basically became pirates. Um, Euron, they actually called the Kraken, and he's got, like, bastard ch- children all over the place, and he's basically like a him. pirate. And yeah. then Victarion, who they haven't shown, or I don't, I don't know if they've even cast him. He may not even be in this season. He's a little more of like the the pirate but also kind of like the military king kind of thing of the the area so they're they're pretty similar i'd be actually somewhat surprised if they don't combine euron and victorian together just because they are just similar enough um but i don't know if we've actually seen euron before if they just mentioned him by name do you think he believes all that rhetoric about I am the god of the sea and I don't all know. that other stuff? I I was really it's, curious by that. Curious by that. I think it would be great if he does. If he storms in and you know claims claims the the clan or whatever and right. is making that kind of rhetoric. Yeah, uh, I think it would be amazing. I think that I would love, be really nice. Yeah, I'm a real fan for the stories where the leader has gone full tilt. Uh, sort of uh, what is it? Megam- megalomaniacal. That's that's Deborah? a word. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> because, and I love the idea of the people around him being like, "Well, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll ride this out for a little bit." You know. So I think that would be really interesting if that's true. Um, yeah. That whole sequence. Is, that's another example of where no love lost for for Balon. I mean, he was right. a, he was a bastard, but. Um, he gave it. He gave it his all, and then took a pitch. And yeah, you know him. Her, you know, screaming all the way down this infinitely, infinitely, yeah. infinitely long uh, fall to the water. Oh, and I, you know, really the compelling. the thing I really loved about that scene was the way that that bridge was pitching back and forth, and yes. Balon was trying to keep from falling, and Euron was just standing there. He wasn't holding the ropes. He he had his sea legs and was just keeping from he dropping. Had been out to sea. Yeah, out to sea the time. 
which was a huge difference. I, I thought, thought that, that was, was really cool. Great. I love the way that Balon was holding the ropes and then he'd see his brother not holding the ropes and would try to stand there without it. I thought that was so well done. And it was super subtle, but I really liked it. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I liked um I liked everything about that exchange. And like I say before, uh the the vulnerability of those bridges has yeah. always been interesting to me because you know in, in realistically if they are a people that are up on these out, these rock outcroppings all the time you think that they would have a much more fortified way of getting from one to the other um right. or that you know when we first saw that world of pike i i remember thinking from a set design standpoint why wouldn't they be very well structured <laughs> Right, um, very safe and well structured bridges <laughs> that have quick releases. Because right. obviously, to have bridges like that, it's so that you know if someone's coming, it's a defensive you thing. Them. Yeah, you know, but but that's okay. It was an interesting, it was an interesting component for the scene. So right. that was cool. Yeah, I thought that was really uh, cool. Uh, side note: um, according to the internet. The internet. Uh, Baelish Littlefinger, um, the last time we saw him was in season five, and he was talking to Olena in his the ruins of his brothel, mm. and he gives her Lancel to have Cersei arrested, and that's the last time we've seen him, ah. is he's working with the Tyrells. Really? Yeah. Huh. According to the uh, the Wikia of Ice and Fire, which is really cool, it's a w- cool website because they show the TV stuff first, and then you can scroll down and read the book stuff and that kind of yeah. thing. But so yeah, it looks like the last time we saw him was in season five, actually turning over Lancel to Olena Martel or to Tyrell, so uh. that she could have Cersei arrested. I don't even remember that. Hang on, I feel guilty. I feel sorry for this cat. I'm gonna look. <laughs> Tom's letting the cat out of the bag. Is that a mattress behind you? Do you have a mattress with the Game of Thrones map written on it? Is that your new wipe-off board? <laughs> it's a sheep, but yes. <laughs> it does not look like fed. a sheep. <laughs> it's a sheep that's fed to dragons. Yeah, I don't know why my... My lovely wife just put that in here for some reason. This is it's, where this mattress goes. It's sound buffering, right? That's your that's yeah. your your excuse towards soundproofing your office. That's a good, really good point. That's exactly what it is. She said, she you said, have she said let's pack it away and and and, and put it in storage uh, for the crib. Right? So uh, or for the other bed. She's like, pack it away and put it in the storage. I said, great, I'll do that. She goes, except you have to pack it with some bag that's going to completely seal it. And I said, I'll just put some garbage bags together. She goes, no, you need a bag that will fully seal it. So it'll be this. Where do I, what internet website do I go to to find a bag that can fit a, the body of a teenager? Just go to U-Haul. It seems like that's a... Yeah, it just seems like that's on a watch list somewhere. Right? It really does. Probably not a good idea. I'm not going to search for that. U-Haul sells those mattress bags, just a side note. <laughs> to, to put teenagers in, it's not a good sign. Yeah, go yeah. But teenagers are a lot taller than that these uh, days, sir. Well, I guess you're right. But I mean, if well, okay. So, <laughs> uh, so now the cat wants out. Of course it does. Cats okay. are cats, yeah, they, after all. Yes, they are. Uh, so, uh, you know what we forgot to talk about? What did we and forgot? This, this is very important. The sweet, sweet, sweet scene where... The wildling 
Yes. Backup coach shows up. And yeah. uh, that's the other braining for the episode, or the yeah. other one of the other brainings for the episode. I guess that what was the great... first. That was the very first scene, wasn't it? I think it's the second. scene, Was it right? the second so scene after Roy? Roy, Roy, Bran, Bran. Roy, 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 Batty. <laughs> so yeah, that whole sequence was amazing. Let me tell know... you about my mother. <laughs> <laughs> What's a tortoise? Tortoise. What's that? So, uh, I've been struck by both both times that they've shown up at the door. They're all like, "Just open the door, and we're going to let you go, and we'll even right. give you some meat. We'll give you some meat and all that other stuff." And they, <laughs> I just like, they have this whole phalanx of archers, right? Right. <laughs> sure they will. So, yeah, that they don't have a great. window to this room, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and it was also cool that um, it was also cool that the wildlings broke through the gate to get there. Yeah. So that was. I had been wondering why. I think it proves that 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 thing in the last episode of of a red haired guy in the room when when Alasair was admitting what they had done. I think mm-hmm. it wasn't really a wild thing, but yeah, um, yeah, it shows where they've been. They've been outside of the the secured area of this of this fort. Right. I love that they just burst through. Yeah. And whole thing of the guy shooting the arrow at the giant, the giant like going. Oh, that was so amazing. Take you, and I'm going to smear you like a like a chalk. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I I really love the way they're handling one one the giant in this. He's just so great. That's the first time we've seen some real kickassery from a giant because the last one, I mean, in in the battle, mm-hmm. it was neat the way they used the giants. So yeah, all the giants we've seen have been great. They've been yeah. amazing. But this was the first time when you saw one um, where they so used his scale versus them right. to just show like this is the. You know, this is the tank among yeah. all the infantry, right? <laughs> exactly. It's so, it so ridiculous in scale. He's like, <laughs> picked him up and smeared him. <laughs> I loved it. And the arrow probably didn't even penetrate his skin that he was struck with. <laughs> so um, putting Alistair and the kid in the uh, in the the jail or whatever it is, yeah. you know, um, it was interesting to me because it gives us one more chance for a great, you know, in the next episode yeah. or whatever it is. Because uh, I really, I'm glad that they will be alive, in theory, alive to see what happens the, the, at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah, all of their, yeah, all of their, all of their hard work um, it, to be in vain. Spoilers. Yeah. Yes. A, so. <laughs> anyway, so that was pretty cool. I really love that whole sequence. I thought it was yeah. Nice and, and, some and it went the way I wanted it to go, but I wasn't sure if it would, so that was perfect. Well, and I like anything with big bearded redheads and giants involved, so... I know how you are. <laughs> Pretty sure there's a soap scent in your catalog. Oh my goodness, that. you know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what else? The other thing about... Um, uh, the other thing we haven't talked about is in Marine. I really... Last episode, the Marine stuff was depressing and boring. Right. So... The the uh, the realistic mechanism of govern of governance and and civil liberties issues and yeah, uh, but this time slaves <laughs> incest jo- incest jokes wine some good lines and then we got right to one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. I kind of adore the fact uh, before we get to that scene. I love the fact that Varys literally calls you on what you were saying. The last episode about Tyrion making fun of him not having a cock. 
you listen to me? <laughs> that was totally great. And then, and, and, and not only that, there's another guy in the room. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, that was so good. I love that Tyrion looks over and he's like, oh, yeah, there's also this warrior that can kill me. <laughs> yes, and anything with Masandi in it that makes me happy because she's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I really thought the sequence of this scene was interesting because it seemed very consistent with Tyrion's uh, – savvy yeah he's asking her so you've been around the dragons they didn't eat you right and i'm thinking he's gonna try to talk her into going down there and then her boyfriend is gonna get all upset and then <laughs> but all he was doing was establishing his comfort you know establishing his his theory right that they don't attack someone that they trust or yeah. that they believe is not trying to harm them what i loved about this whole sequence i mean i love the fan i love that 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 Tyrion was like the you know this was like the whole uh avengers thing with the worship <laughs> captain america right right or greg you know it, this was like you know he's like all i ever wanted was a little dragon and they didn't give it to me but what i loved about it was it was once again a reminder that Tyrion is an is a re- he's a learned man yeah he is a he's an educated person and even daenerys right sees the dragons as symbols and right animals she has the connection with them which is a very animal thing, right? Mm-hmm. A bonding thing. And then she sees them as symbols of her reign and symbols of her power and her and, and, and her destiny and all that. But she doesn't understand but how those symbols should be used. She doesn't understand the dragons. Right. She fears I – mean, she implies that she understands that they're growing and she can't control them. And this right. And this, which is very much about like the way I would look at a cat like my kittens, Olivia right here. <laughs> right. One-year-old. I sort of understand how her little brain works, but at the same time, she's eating me. Right. So, right. But Tyrion is the one who sits there and says, they are incredibly intelligent. Yeah. Possibly more intelligent than humans. He read far enough back when he was, in, when he was young, he read back on the, the heyday of these dragons existing. Right. He knows that concept that the Targaryens imprisoning them. Right. It was reduction. It was sort of like devolve them. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that entire scene was just beautifully done. I think this might be one of my favorite scenes of the series, not just this episode. It was just so perfectly shot. It conveyed a little bit of wistful longing on Tyrion's part to have been the person with the dragons in the first place. And that, that scene where he tentatively reaches out and touches something that had to have been a green tennis ball on a stick for him. I, I read, I read like three times now in different versions. People writing, you know, on the interwebs, mm-hmm. um, that was the best acting against a green screen ever. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really amazing. Felt, you really felt like he was putting. He was he was betting it all. Like he really felt like he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he was going to have that moment or die trying. And right. I thought that was amazing. How he very cautiously he admitted fear, but he mm-hmm. just very cautiously did it. And the and the, the tentative way the dragons approached him. Yeah. You see the pilot light start in the mouth, you know. So awesome. Burns out. <laughs> and, then thing, and, and, and certainly when he released the one and the other one comes up and bends down. Oh, like, that was so great. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's uh, mine. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I fully get that they're, they're doing a lot. They have a huge budget now. Right. I, I think that their, their per episode budget now is about what the first season's budget was. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, I just listened to uh, 
um, that screenwriter's blog that, or uh, podcast that I told you about, they they had them on. Oh, and right. They on. did make a mention. They did make a mention of the fact that the that the uh, that the budget had had escalated significantly. But nonetheless, right. you know, in order to do good CGI, they generally do good CGI on that show. Right. Good effects, and so what? And and I think the key to that is being strategic in how they do it. And I really liked. I mean, we've had at the end of the last season, you know, we had. Um, Drogon is that the name of the 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 black dragon? Yeah, that's the one that's loose. Yeah, yeah. He comes down, he picks her up, she flies around on him, he takes off. A lot of full full shots of dragon, fine, right? But look what they're doing with a head. Look right. at how much they the, the the old fantasy nerd in me was just <laughs> loving. Just the D and D guy in me was just dying about how they're all making all these really alien sounds, these really yeah. clicks, clicks and rumbles and things and it was sort of like this weird ha- hybrid between like a tiger and a lizard and a I don't right know what. so cool yeah the, was- the, the 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 noise in particular for the dragons is just amazingly good like I think it's the best a dragon has ever sounded on film oh god it was great it's and, so I, and I listen good. to earphones and so I get that I could have it cranked up in a way I normally don't at home <laughs> I can hear all the like <laughs> you know right. it just sounds so cool uh, and then the fact that they let him release them, and then they like walk, and then they backed back into the cavern again. Yeah, it was so cool. Like I don't know whether they went back to feed or if they were just sort of like you know, well done, human. Right. You know? We'll let you leave, but, and right. then we'll do our thing. <laughs> so great. Because you think it, it, you know, I was wondering, are they going to like knock him over and fly right out? Right. Or, or you know, at Frankly, the way this show works, they could have just waited for the second one to be released, and then they <laughs> right. <laughs> my my coworker is absolutely insistent that they're 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 taking the fan, they're taking the sort of the fringe fan favoritism about Tyrion, and they're trying to open it up to everybody. Mm-hmm. She said, like the frat guys will like Tyrion, and then they'll kill him. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> well, there's rumors in the, the, the hardcore Game of Thrones fan community that oh, Tyrion's yeah. actually a Targaryen. And that's what I really liked about the scene because it was, I mean, if it wasn't legitimizing that theory, mm-hmm. it was a great thought to that fan theory. Yes. Because, and I really like the idea that the three dragons have three riders. I do too. And I don't think that that necessarily means he has to be a Targaryen. I think that it could just as easily be somebody that... He's one of the few people on the planet besides the Maesters right now that knows and respects the dragons enough that he'd be capable of riding a dragon kind of thing. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. Did did you... Um, I don't know whether it's book book lore or in the earlier episodes that I don't remember, but was it established that there's questions about his, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, his wife, his, or his mother is definitely Tywin's wife, but there but is Tywin his are father. rumors that she may have been raped by one of the, uh, Targaryens. And the, because, didn't he wouldn't that whole thing with his father wasn't that whole thing about him saying that i don't you're not my son and all that stuff right wasn't that suggest that he really was a bastard yeah that was the way he was wording it right there was kind of that dig at whether he was really that or was that just tywin saying 
everything you've done to live up to me this whole time was for naught, even though I'm dying. Here's the last knife jab. And so, or, 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 and fundamentally, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're not the, you're not the man right. that I am or that I want to be because of your physical stature. And so right. therefore you are, you're not my son. I mean, there was plenty of that there too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to tell whether he was like legitimately saying the truth right there or whether it was just one more jab at his little half man son. I definitely, I mean, I've, I've, I followed that uh, theory and liked it, that it would be John and right. Tyrion and her. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. It would <laughs> be interesting. Or they could just turn around and eat each of them off their backs. And that would be very consistent with Game of Thrones as well. Uh, so let's see what else. What else happened? So we have. Um, I think we had we're no... we're around to the big scene now, aren't we? Well, so we had absolutely no Dorn, which is probably no one of the things about why this episode was awesome for a lot of people. <laughs> I'm in the minority that I still like Doran just because of the imagery, even though, and I didn't read the book, so I'm not outraged at how it doesn't live up to the promise. This episode did clarify, though, that the Sand Snakes were in King's Landing when they killed the prince. Or at least two of them were, yeah. Yeah, at right. least the two. Say yeah. Who killed him, right? Yeah. I don't understand, because I could swear. Yeah, it doesn't saw really them. make any sense. She didn't. She take the antidote to the poison on the dock with them standing there. Yes, but ah. maybe they had a fast ship. <laughs> fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, is um, Arya. Oh yeah, yeah. Her scene. Kind of disappointed me, actually. Really? I really wanted to see her start paying a little more attention to the sounds. Yeah, but yeah, okay. She I was just that. flailing blindly. It just, it, uh, it fell short. <laughs> you see what I saw? <laughs> I could have sworn you said failing blindly, but you might have said flailing. But I did so, say flailing, flailing, but yeah. Failing blindly is the name of that episode right there. <laughs> failing right. blindly. I see what you did there. <laughs> I yeah. love... I love Hot Bro. That's her. Uh, is the faceless man. I love when he shows up. He's so He's, uh, good. I just keep expecting him to say, "Condescending me, man." You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> he just has that thing. Condescending me, man. Fucking kill you, man. He just looks like he just rolled out of a VW bus, type two. He but really does. I love him. Yes, I, I, and any scene that he's in immediately elevates. And I don't know if it's just because he's so charismatic or he's just got this just the right amount of screen presence or what. But yeah, like the scene was just kind of telegraphed a little too much for yes, me, I guess. It really was. There was but, no surprise to it. Yeah. And, and the fact that she answered the right way, um, you know, I don't know. I, they I did make like her he's... look rough, though. Oh my god, oh, she, she looked did. rough. <laughs> I love that. You know, my favorite scene in that in that or the, my favorite moment in that whole scene was uh, when uh, what's her name, the younger, they're the the other, the the young woman that's been right. You know, yeah, I can't remember what they her. call her, but yeah. yeah, she's got some name. But anyway, so she's whack, 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 and then she's gone. And she's just, and then Arya's just flailing around, and she's like, she's attacking <laughs> nothing. And then the other 
the other beggars are not even moving. Yeah, the like, homeless just, pe- the other homeless people are like, "What the hell? Really? Again?" <laughs> and and I did like also when uh, the faceless man, faceless man, nameless man. I think the they dude call wrote, him nameless man. Nameless man. Many faced the many faced nameless dude. Right. Dude, bro, takes dude her, bro. Come with me. You are a beggar no more. I loved when she went to reach down to grab her coin, and he says, "You don't need that anymore." Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, I thought that was really good. And then we get to the money scene. We've established when she left the, her money. Oh, I see what you did. <laughs> so, right out of the gate, they established some some credence to the business papers. Business papers. Credence. They established credence. <laughs> it's a credence reference. They established that she, moon <laughs> she really had lost her faith. And that's why she right. was feeling sorry for herself in the bathtub or whatever. It's because she thought right. that she, you know, her prophecies had not come true and whatever else. Um, I love the way they did that scene that she, that she, it's like she's convinced herself that if she says the stuff the right way and she rallies, they convinced her to do it. Right. Which is a little bit weird for Davos's character because I was trying to understand how he yeah. would come to the conclusion that he, that Jon Snow is important. It seems yeah. Like she, it was more. It was more uh, logical to me when she was the one saying that he was important. Right. The only thing I can really like convince myself to be convinced by with that is oh. that maybe Davos is just he knows that Stannis is no longer the Manus, and he <laughs> needs somebody else to to rally behind. And he decided that John was that that honorable man that was doing the right thing and. It had to be him, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's just the only thing I can think of for that, because yeah, he saw the the Red Queen do some or the Red Priestess do some terrible shit, and it terrified him and it horrified him. And he now he's like, yeah. "Come on, do it again! I know you can do it." Poke, poke. Well, it was <laughs> it was a strange circumstance that Davos, who's an, an atheist in that world, right, and has been very critical of how she's been manipulating Stannis, right. It was interesting that he was sitting here feeding her like, I've heard that red priests can do some super cool stuff. And right. you try some super cool stuff, including raising the dead. Maybe why don't you try that? That was very strange to me in terms of the dial – in terms of the – I guess I don't know, the narrative structure. It just yeah. didn't seem like what Davos would say. On the other hand, I'm a little hazy on the tail end of season five, but I think he was there to see – Jon Snow bring the wildlings in and describe yes. the North to describe the 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 Snow King or the Ice King, whatever he's called. All of his his zombies or where his whites were coming in and right. all that stuff. So yeah, Davos, they left Davos there when he went off with the daughter Shireen and everything. Right. So Davos has been there the whole time. He saw the way Jon brought the wildlings in, the way he gave them that stretch of land that nobody else could farm, the way he did all of that very kingly type behavior in terms of making peace with the wildlings, making Castle Black stable again, and yeah, yeah, describing that terrible thing that's coming from the other side of the wall. And so I think yeah, Davos I, just yeah. knows that he's like the one hope kind of thing. Yeah, I was kind of feeling like maybe he's he's focusing less on I need to rally behind the guy who's going to take a throne because he right. doesn't care. He doesn't right. care about that stuff. No, he, he doesn't was, give a shit, yeah. He supported Stannis because Stannis supported him. Right? right. His thing was more about, well, the big bad's coming. Right. Jon Snow can save people. And 
So I thought that was really great. I liked that they think it failed and they all one by one leave the room. I didn't so for once good. believe I did not believe that it wouldn't succeed. Right. But part of me was wondering, oh god, are they gonna stretch it out again? Yeah. But you know. And I loved the cleaning of the body so you could see all the, the Yeah, movement. that was really good. It was very intense. I've always been struck by images in whether it's Law and Order or, or other sorts of things where gunshot victims are cleaned up, and then you have these just weird, weird sort of little black holes. Yeah, and, and your not and your and and your implied knowledge is like, well, you punch holes in organs and they're going to die. Right. So, so these small holes are doing a lot of damage. But I, going back to those kinds of stories, I've mm-hmm. always been struck by. Uh, knife wounds in bodies because it's just so vulgar. Yeah. It just seems so invasive in a way that other types of wounds don't feel. I don't know. Maybe decapitation is invasive. Maybe chronic <laughs> well, is Maybe. Invasive. But to me, something about the multiple knife strikes was, mm-hmm. is, is very intense to see. Well, and the way it was a struggle for her to get the, the dried, frozen blood off of him, too. I really liked how much water she had to use and how it had dried. And, like, parts of it looked almost frosty. And I, I really liked the way they showed it, like, not just, oh, wiped off, clean kind of thing. I'm I'm struggling with the timeline because I know it. I mean, it feels like okay. So the night before, mm-hmm. they 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 ambushed him and killed him. Right. And he was in the snow until morning, and partially frozen. So his body right. temperature was very low. Right. And they brought him in the room, but there's no fire in the room. Right. Call. Maybe there's a fire in the room. There's a remember. little brazier next to her because that's what she keeps sprinkling yeah. his hair into. Oh, right. Right, right, right. But uh, which, by the way, I think is just a wonderful reference to the fandom, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They're cutting his hair. I get it. Just feel like when they're doing it, they're like, you know, right. Like, like, but, 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 but in general, I was trying to imagine, you know, like why isn't the body gone into rigor? Did it go into right. rigor and then it come back out? In which case, it would start to balloon. Right. So if it's not decaying, is it because of the extremely cold conditions that it's basically been preserved? And I think that's the case. That would know. be my assumption: is that he'd at least partially frozen, and now he was thawing back out, kind of thing. And we just spent three minutes on that, by the way. <laughs> on the state cleaning of, of the wounds, the state of preservation <laughs> of the corpse on Game of Thrones. Yes, which is a completely relevant detail on Game of Thrones. Absolutely. <laughs> so the whole like wake up thing at the last moment, the money shot where he's like, oh. right, and then he wakes up and and he and it, it, you know it's interesting. It it read it definitely read more than the imagery imagery you get of people who are like uh, you know in in coma or right. Had, succumbed in drowning or whatever and then had been revived mm-hmm. he definitely seemed to have come back from a deep dark place and and have some sort of cognizance about it i don't know if that's the case now but. i meant to rewatch it to see if you could see his wounds in that scene uh you can see one wound and, and it didn't like could... magically heal up or anything no, like that it's no, still, still a wound open. interesting and i'm incredibly interested about that because yeah one of my favorite concepts in in immortality and reincarnation stories is that the body does not heal right now i have a strong feeling that a reincarnated snow Mm -hmm. is going to be swinging a swinging a sword and running around and doing all that wonderful stuff but i like the idea this is a show where people have wounds that are taped up and they're like you know right slowly um succumbing to bacteria and all that stuff it'll be interesting to see whether his wounds heal or whether he they just 
he just ceases to have right. vulnerability. He just has to tape them up so they don't leak or something. Well, and it'll know. be interesting because, like, um, in the books, Beric Dondarrion, the kind of the the god that they've shown resurrected previously in this in the show, that the the red priest was healing up, that was with the hound right. and Arya. In that, when he's cut, they have to like yeah. sew him up after he's a resurrected. Guy or a god? Is it God or just the guy that you're talking the about? The guy, Beric oh. Dondarrion. When yeah, he yeah, dies okay. and the Red Priest brings him back, they have to like sew up his wounds and stuff. And he has like stitched together pieces and he wears a scarf to hide where his head had been chopped right. off. That right, kind of right, thing. Right, right. Yeah. So it'll be so interesting. interesting. I, I want to see I – want, I want the he- wounds to not heal. Yeah. Because he's going to have another sizzle chest sex scene or something later in the episode and it's going to be like uh your wounds john snap you know and there's going to be like <laughs> just going to put her cigarette in there you know right maybe they're just I, going to have people touch his his wounds like jesus okay so how <laughs> super dope was it that ghost that was great the body everybody left and then ghost like perked up before he woke yeah, up yeah and like felt him wake back up i thought that was great and I don't know if it's just camera work and it was just an accident of lighting, but Ghost's eyes were crazy red when he yeah. woke up on the body. Yeah. I don't know. This was so cool. I thought that was just perfectly done. I loved that Ghost just stood next to the body and then laid next to the body the whole time. And then, bam, when like his soul or whatever reenters the body, Ghost perks up. And, yeah, I thought that was great. There's something really um, nostalgic and wonderful about the fact that when those guys were ready – were threatening to to uh, punch their way in. Mm-hmm. That Ghost was like, Arr! but he was just staying with the body. Like he yeah. wasn't attacking. He wasn't attacking the attackers. He was defending the corpse of his master. Right. right. And re- I also loved the consistency that in this last scene where they're re- they're restoring the body, you still see the axe blows to the wall to the yes. door. The door is broken. In yes. All this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really nice that it was bowed in and it was all busted up. And yeah, the the scene with Ghost really reminded me of the way like military dogs and bomb sniffing dogs yeah. stay next to their their they're not even owners, they're like partners that they're staying next to. And I think that's really a powerful image the way they used Ghost in that respect. Now Chris, I'm no fan of dog smell. Okay? I'm gonna tell you right now. I can't rationalize the dog smell. I don't. I, I can't come to terms with it. I haven't like adapted to it <laughs> in all of my visiting dog friends and friends of dogs. But that scene was just like fuel to the fire on my desire to have a dog. Yeah, like, I'm speak, I'm preaching to the choir with you. Oh yeah, with you have mul- multiple dogs, but um, <laughs> just the it, everything about that was a reminder of why it seems my friends who are dog owners love their dogs so much yeah that there's absolutely that really tight bond um i don't know I'd, I'd like a wolf i'd like a i'd like a i'd like a 10 foot tall wolf or whatever the hell they are my dogs are almost that size dude get a new feet right. or a I, bernese they're here we gotta shave them and everything you don't have to shave them if you brush your dogs they don't even really shed that much when you get those kind of dogs i'm gonna tell you a story uh <laughs> when i graduated from college uh we went down to mexico to visit uh a friend's uh, Is this a dog shaving in Mexico story? Close. So <laughs> that's a different podcast that you have to pay for. So anyway, uh, 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 the the best friend of one of my pals from college had married a woman from 
uh, Mazatlan. And so we went down after college, we went down to Mazatlan and stayed with her family for several days and Mm -hmm. hung out before moving on with our lives. And so there was a night where we had a few beverages. And Mm -hmm. when I woke up in the morning, they they had been building they've been working on their house and so they had a single story house and they've been building they're they're on the they're working on the second or third second or third stories and and despite the seismic activity they're just putting CME block on it. <laughs> right. just, just whatever just <laughs> manually so i woke up upstairs and you know when you you've had way too much to drink and you didn't have a good night maybe you threw up whatever and then you your sleep is is not a restful sleep it's a real right. mess and you wake up dehydrated and mess and just feeling like just terrible. <laughs> okay, so I woke up with all those feelings plus intense discomfort of warmth and itchiness. And the family Malamut was – or a Siberian husky. I don't uh-huh. remember what it was. They had it down in Mazatlan. Okay. And not shaved or anything. And, and, and she had sidled up to me while I was sleeping. And so when I woke up, this big dog was spooning me basically <laughs> – <laughs> or I was spooning her, whichever. Right. So I woke up, you know, like, you know, 8 a.m. and it's 110 degrees. Right. You know, I've, got, I've got a whole bunch of, of, of Arctic dog in me, <laughs> in my face, you know. And I was just like, God, that's really hot. But um, I've always loved Malamutes and those kinds of dogs. So yeah. The, the, uh, the Arctic Spitz breeds. <laughs> Dude, yeah, like, you're a, like – Five to seven years ago, I could never have seen you having a dog. Looking really? at yeah, because your house and everything you always posted on the forum was always so immaculate. Everything was white and super modern and sleek and saying? clean. But now, where you've got dog kids and cats, and there's animals yeah. knocking shit off of shelves, and you've, you're growing things and rusting sauerkraut or whatever it is you're doing in those mysterious <laughs> jars, I could see you with a dog. I don't know if I could see the lady of the house with a dog necessarily, okay, but so all right. So background. So uh, I never had dogs. I only had cats growing up, but I love dogs. I tried to adopt one in college, but then decided that it was. I found out that the dog's sibling had been adopted and was on a farm down okay. in the central place, and they had inquired about their their dog's sibling, and I mm-hmm. felt guilty. And I said, you know, how can I take it, this dog back to an apartment when it could run on a farm? Right. So. That's what they just the say to people, by the way. Oh, it's on a farm where it can run. <laughs> oh, no. He uses her, her bones for tools. So anyway, uh, so never had a dog, but love dogs in concept except for the smell. Uh, and then so my wife, my lovely wife, grew up with po- uh, with a poodle. Mm-hmm. So hypoallergenic in theory. Right. And, um and she's always told me these wonderful stories about like, you know, the kids in the pool and the, and the poodle running around the pool, constantly barking, 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 going around and right. around and around until they got out of the pool. And then she <laughs> licks them all off. You know, I just I love it. She she would love to get a dog. It's just about um, we have an elder cat that's still right. hanging on. We think that we bring the dog in and the cat would do like the cartoons where the skeleton would go and jump, out of, <laughs> jump out of the body of the cat and then stay there. So, you know, Eighty percent of the smell of the dog is the food. What our dogs do not smell the way other dogs do because we feed them good food. It makes a huge difference in dog smell. I challenge, you. I challenge you. There are so many rich people with smelly dogs. Are you telling me that they're giving their dogs cheap food? It's possible. That's how the rich stay rich, man. <laughs> right? 
they buy dog chow. <laughs> but yeah. So what do you? How, so do you do you make the food? Like oh no, no. There's uh, we we feed them science diet, which isn't oh, okay. the the best food you can buy. It's not. It's it's, it's certainly close. an upper tier, but it's not top tier or anything like that. Um, sure. But like my dog smells like. I mean, it's obviously it's it has a smell, but it's like snow. <laughs> yeah, but you go around other dogs and you pet them, and like you said, the, the, it has that funk on your fingers, kind of thing. That musk. My yeah. dogs don't have that. So science diet. So we use prescription diet for the cats, but that's okay. just the that's just the the formula of science diet. Right. That is a little bit more specific to certain needs, but you know. Except for the fact that they don't want to eat it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're cats. Cats are dumb. Right. Dogs would be like, "Ooh, I'll, I'll take it." <laughs> exactly. Cats are like, "Sniff, nope, I don't think so." <laughs> but at three in the morning, I'm gonna tell you why I didn't like it, and that's what our cats do. <laughs> See, but your cats, like, like you've been—I'm sure you've been to other people's houses that have cats. I'm yeah. sure you've noticed that your cats aren't as sheddy as other cats are. I mean, you've mm. got you've got a fairly long-haired older cat. Your I house should have yeah. a lot more hair in it than it does. But because you feed it better food, it doesn't shed as much. It doesn't stink as bad. Its breath isn't as bad. It's we amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing the difference it makes to give them a little attention and feed them better food. It makes such a big difference. So what you're telling me is that I can get a uh, one of these really dodgy wolf hybrids of course that's the best choice with small children (laughs) and then yes and then i can and then i have to feed it questionable meat that i got from family members that i've murdered yes and everything will be fine yeah that's totally fine it's it's the lessons learned from this episode of game of yeah yeah everything (laughs) it was great it was so good it was an excellent episode all the people that complain that uh you know well since they're moving ahead of the books and obviously they're just going to go off the rails because without his leadership right without his templating they won't know what they're doing um and then that first episode comes out and it's stalling right as the first episode always is in this show well that's the thing but then you get into this one, it's just like you just slap – your head is spinning about how right. many moves they made that were significant. Yeah, yeah. And again, in, the, in in keeping with the apparent theme for the season, the misfortune was older guard male leaders. Right. Again. Yeah. Getting come up in one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was pretty interesting after the show had, after the show had come out. How poor Kit Harrington's immediately like, I'm sorry. I've been lying to you for months. <laughs> but you knew I was. <laughs> right. And I've, I read an interview with him that said he actually, this is going to be the most Jon Snow heavy season of the Game of Thrones season so far. I'm so down with that. I yeah. I'm totally okay that. with it. Yeah. He, he, that actor and that character have rubbed me the right way. Yeah. Since, oh, yeah. Since the first season, and um, I think that the uh, – granted, I'm an only child, but <laughs> I think that the story of adopted children struggling with their legitimacy right. and their validity has always been an interesting thing. And we've seen this a number of times in the show, mm-hmm. which is especially interesting to me given that it is an, it's an allegory towards you know, true, true 
the true historical reality of the, the of the dark ages and the medieval times when when uh le, you know legitimate lineage was right. the, a matter of life and death right right and i i really like the way they address his well i mean it hasn't happened for a while now but the way they addressed his relationship with his family and with his siblings that he grew up with but apart from and yeah, I loved how he picked up Ned's teachings, but had to apply them in his own bastard way to survive. Wasn't it interesting that um, Ned Stark's wife was very cold to him? Yeah. Because she knew that he was the bastard child of another lover. Right. And Or that was implied anyway. But she was such a wonderful character and she was so especially in death you know you just think back on her and you're like yeah. wow she's just this righteous thing but it's interesting to think that this was a somewhat realistic interpretation that she would just be like well right you know, i don't have a say in him being here but i don't like him here <laughs> yeah exactly but, yeah it was just, just so but perfect that's Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> right you know nothing <laughs> i still can't get over the fact they were cutting his hair I still can't yeah. get over the fact that he's actually hooked up with, uh, what's her name? His wild Yeah, Greet. <laughs> Why Rose, can't that body come back? Rose hey. Leslie, yeah. Rose Leslie, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what HBO's been doing, I don't know if you see this in whatever cockamamie theft of episodes. Perfectly legal no. HBO Perfect. Go, sir. Okay, then we're in the same boat. Um, <laughs> Like the honest trailer for Game of Thrones said, the show that everyone watches thanks to their friends HBO Go account. <laughs> so anyway, um, they've been doing this behind the scenes Game of Thrones thing. That I haven't talk. actually seen any of those yet. I want to watch them, but yeah, it's hot garbage. That's it's what nice. I've seen. Yeah. No, they the producers just sit there and tell you, and, and they describe what you just watched and say, "Well, what we wanted to do here was show you that mm. Jamie Lannister had no moves to make." Okay. I just saw that. It wasn't, right. it wasn't so neat to what they're saying yet, which is frustrating to me. Yeah, but. that's annoying. Yeah. Then maybe Meh. I don't want to watch that. Meh. <laughs> I'm totally dissatisfied with all this bonus content they're giving me for no reason. Yeah, we had to dive into the, the HBO Go pool for this next episode for sure, because regardless of what other methods I may have been picking up for the the programming access of the Game of Thrones, I leave early enough for one of my cons that there's no way my wife will wait to watch it. So, so we have to have a more prompt access for it. <laughs> totally, I can totally see that. Um, remember how we were talking about Silicon Valley, the show? We talked about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that season just started, um, I think, this past weekend, and I haven't okay. watched it yet because I'm waiting for my lovely wife, but I cannot wait. So... Between uh, Game of Thrones and Silicon Valley, I'm heavily dependent on HBO for right. HBO Go accounts of someone else's for very important <laughs> content. Hey, they're pretty liberal with those HBO Go codes. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Wasn't it that this last thing, someone like Chris Rock or someone like gave out? No, no. Someone gave out their HBO Go oh, really? code. That's oh, no, it was hilarious. Uh, was it? it was a guy who did a thing, but they, they, they gave out the code on stage. Oh, and that's funny. It's Phil got bombed immediately by <laughs> thousands of people and had to shut it down. That's awesome. Here I'm showing you it's audio, but I'm showing you I'm showing you this is Oh, the I can Elder hear the cat. purring. That's 
pretty prominent, actually. That's right. Here you come. You had your moment moment in the sun. So, so another great Game of Thrones episode, indeed, and another great Game of Thrones sum up by Robot Kraken. Robot Dash. (laughs) Robot Dash Kraken. Dash Kraken. So, uh, what does this week have in store for you other than uh, preparing for the next con? Are you going to try to read or watch anything other than what you just watched? Well, I think both of us have a certain movie on our plan, Plundering. Oh, really? What's that? I don't remember. Captain America, Civil War, (laughs) or Civil War, see? (laughs) Civil War. So, uh, I am so desperately trying to avoid anything. And uh, io9.com... Bless their hearts. They've had my art on that site before. I love it to death. But I fired up the, the site earlier today, and it said, you know, things we know at the or the state of the Marvel Universe going into Phase 3. And I'm like, just delete. I'm like, what? Right. Can you wait until it's released in the U.S. first before yeah, you talk no about shit. it? Yeah, no shit. Yeah. No, and I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't even actually spoil anything, but I couldn't risk it. I couldn't <laughs> risk watching the, the, the animated GIF, as you were complaining about last time. You didn't. That's yep. shocking, sir. How dare you? Let me tell you shocking. what happened detail. Here's all the rumors I heard about the movie, Chris. La, la, la. Hey, la, la, la. I'm not <laughs> going to listen to right? this. I'm not going to hear this now. Now I'm not going to listen to this. Ray, you're chanting. I'm not going to Ray. hear this now. I'm not Ray, look. going to Ray. listen to this. Unconscious I'm chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Ray, Ray, you're chanting. Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. What? No? (laughs) You're dope. So uh, you're going to see it Thursday or what? Uh, Yes, the plan is to see it Thursday at 7 p.m. in the Big D Theater. The Big D? The Big D. But not 3D, just the Big D. There's just one D, and it's big. It's not even 2D. It's just one D, but it's, it's really big D. It's one big D. <laughs> I have a super D. So, uh, yeah, and then I'm going to see it Friday. So presumably Friday? Ha! Yeah. I'm going to call what? and spoil it with one big gif <laughs> yeah. of my Big D experience. I can see you just spending like 14 hours of computer time crunching one giant GIF of all of your handycam footage. <laughs> and you actually have a handycam, right? Like right, right. Holding it up, propping it between the seats. It's on the eight track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. So our next, uh, our next podcast, I would think, we will spend a healthy amount of time talking about Captain America, Ameritol Civil War. I led. Hey. Next week, we'll talk about Civil Toll. Yes, indeed. And then we'll be back after that for another episode of Game of Thrones. Game of Tolls. <laughs> this is like the, the hot season. Like, I don't think we can. Yeah. Yeah, there's know. no How skipping we... a week here. Yeah. Yeah, you got to slow your con schedule down so you can just spend <laughs> 18 hours on each of these episodes. Right. Last well, hopefully, I'll be editing on the run fairly soon yeah. and Last we can get like... things out a little more efficiently. We did four hours worth of one-hour review. Right. The show was 51 (laughs) minutes, and we did 700 minutes on it. (laughs) (laughs) So in the meantime, until they listen to our Fine, Fine Civil War podcast, how can they get hold of us, Tom? Well, let's see. You're a big fan of Twitter, right? I do tweet upon occasion, yes. What are Do you ever tweet? How do they reach you? Well, I think the easiest way to reach... 
Robot Kraken at large is you can just tweet us at Robot Kraken. You can also tweet me individually at Deeply Dapper. And you can reach Tom at TRDL. I think he has approximately seven tweets to his name. (laughs) (laughs) Retweets. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, that's like the only thing that I have, TRDL, because... It is. And yet you never use it. It's sad. I'm trying to... I'm having a hard time with the tweeting, too. I try as hard as I can, but... It's it's so like, newfangled, and you're even old fangleder than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's both new and old at the same time. I should be right. Prepared. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. You can reach me by email. Do you remember that? That's Is a, that like a snail mail only faster? It's yeah, right. You write a letter, you print it out, then you scan it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can reach it, Tom T H O M at thirdraildesignlab dot com, and you can Answer, write. The TR, at TRDL for Twitter is fine. At TR, yes. And you can write the both of us at salty at robot-kraken.com. That's right. Or just me at deeplydapper at gmail.com because I didn't want to pay for my website's <laughs> domain thing. It's <laughs> such high confidence in the Gmail name. So uh, you could send us your hopes and dreams, your ways and means. Tell us about what we should be talking about, what we should yeah. not be talking about. You can correct me earlier when I said Tormund Giants Bane when I actually meant the mountain. I <laughs> caught myself on that about so is that twenty minutes later. Tormund Giants Bane is the the big redhead wildling. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was totally me dropping the ball there. <laughs> that name in front of the giants that they now have in their loose alliance, though. At the same time, <laughs> you wouldn't think so, no. What's your last name? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just Tormund. Don't worry. It's big, hairy wildling. <laughs> On that note, until until these hairy wildlings meet you next, yes. thanks for listening to Robot Dash Kraken. May and, the wildling uh, rise up to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, incorrect. So, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye.